are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Transcendence. <laughs> my name is Tom Chick, and I'm here to discuss Transcendence with you with my friends and colleagues and co-hosts, Christian Matroski. Uh... I have a reservation under Morosky, I think. And with a transcendence tagline, Kelly Wand. Uh, it's like Tammy and the T-Rex, but with dumber science. <laughs> Nobody knows what that is, Kelly Wand, which is kind of sad to me. Uh, how, many, how often can you get three movie nerds together and all three of them not only know about, but have seen Tammy and the T-Rex? What, Dingus saw it? Dingus is the one that presented it to me. Dingus found an old, a, a rip of an old VHS copy of it, and he gave it to me, and he said, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, and this was before Paul Walker had died, when I, uh, you know, when you guys would like rib me about being a Paul Walker fan, which, you know, that's not something you can make fun <laughs> of. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. So he, he just said, here, I put this movie on the hard drive, just watch it. Uh, and I'm watching it through the credits, and I'm and I saw that Denise Richards is in it, and I was like, oh, I guess Dingus thinks I want to see Denise Richards movies. Uh, and then Paul Walker showed up. Well, she's I, super young, and uh, so, well, so is he. And I, yeah, yeah, they're little made kids. Made fun of me because I said something like Paul Walker looked like a pod people person who's not fully formed yet. You know, used to the way he looks, <laughs> being a little older. That's and called they, a teenager. Exactly. That was kind of the joke you made, and it was very clever then as well. <laughs> I recycled, you recycled. <laughs> but, you know what? Uh, that brings, it's a good transition to, I saw, someone told me tonight that Paul Walker's brother is playing him in Fast and the Furious in, like, his stunt double. Like, he's still in the movie. Uh, good, I guess. I mean, uh, it, it's amazing what you can do, as we found out in the movie we saw this week, with technology, when an actor's not really there. Hmm. Yeah, the technology if, in this case being his brother. Even if the body is there. <laughs> right. Even though Johnny Depp showed yeah. up for filming, you know, it was kind of amazing how that worked out. What, at the end? <laughs> well, we'll save it. Maybe you haven't seen, maybe you listeners have not yet seen Transcendence. We don't want to spoil it for you yet. Uh, so, Dingus, without spoiling Transcendence for the listeners who haven't seen it or maybe. That's to the professionals. And they're maybe still deciding, should I go see this new Johnny Depp movie or not? Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit, Dingus, about what we saw this week without spoiling anything. Be careful. All right. Well, this week we saw Transcendence. Mm -hmm. That's Transcendence. There's an E there, just so you know. I, I often misspell Wait, it. I, I do. I, I always I, do the E-N-C-A-N-C, -N -C, like words. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's a tough I, one. I had a hard time with that, but just so you know, it's it's 1A at the beginning, trans. And then end dense, yep. you know. Well, it's got a silent C, and then it's a lot. It's a pretty strange word. It's difficult. Uh, the iPhone will help you, though. Just letting you know. Spoiler alert. Well, also um, uh, Microsoft Office, Dingus. Why are you all in Apple's pocket? Uh, because people ask, "Hey, what movie are you going to see?" And so I have to text uh, Transcendence. Transcendence. And then, and then iPhone goes, "That's not how you spell that, idiot." And so Transcendence. <laughs> I want that app. Yeah. Well, Dingus has this the sassy iOS. <laughs> I do. Yes. Anyway, was, we're out the battery because <laughs> I'm so dumb. See, <laughs> it's a 2014 American science fiction drama movie um, that IMDb also thinks is a mystery movie. Uh, what? <laughs> I, I was certainly mystified at times. <laughs> it's not a mystery well, movie. It's a mystery movie. What's the mystery? <laughs> why? Why we went to see it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
that's not even a mystery. Where there's... all the money went, why they let Wally Fister direct. I, I, there's several mysteries this movie raises. Where all the money went is a mystery to you. Why they thought this was a movie? I'm... First time screenwriter and director. So a drama movie about the amazing power of Faraday cages. Um, it was directed by Wally Pfister and written by Jack Paglin. It stars Cole Hauser. I don't think it's pronounced that way. Stars. Cole Pfauser. Yeah, uh-huh. should have Michelle Pfeiffer, Wally Pfizer with Silent P's. Transcendence. <laughs> Transcendence is rated PG-13 for sci-fi action and violence. P-Silent Exactly. Wait. Some bloody images. Some. I love when some is in the rating now. Like, all right, we don't, we can't put a precise number on it outside of the thirteen, but it's got some. Well, there's more blood than usual in a PG thirteen, I think. But there, but but they can label it as some some bloody images. Brief, strong language. Brief to do some. And sensuality. See, if they don't say strong, they'll go some mild language. So why don't they just if if mild and strong both get you the same rating? Shouldn't it just be some language? I think there's a whole sliding thing of like pervasive or thematic or some or mild, and as long as all of the sliders line up properly, it'll be a PG thirteen. Kelly, one the MPAA does have a website that you can go to to investigate these things. Nah. I know that it, it it constantly vexes you. I realize, but you you should look into this. It's it's kind of like a mystery, isn't it? In the same sense, yes, it is. And if you were to go to the website, it might uh, solve that mystery. (sighs) At least the computer and Transcendence was smarter than PAA. (laughs) Got them. Take that. Well, let's see. On Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, Transcendence is at 44. On Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of positive reviews for Transcendence, 20%. (laughs) Wait. One in five critics were like, yeah, Transcendence was, uh, was worth seeing. The other four out of five were like, uh, what? No. Uh, Transcendence, let's see how, let's see how America reacted. What did America think of Transcendence? Um, not much, cause they didn't go. Uh, Transcendence was. <laughs> America's in this, in the booth tonight. Transcendence was number four on its opening you know. weekend behind Captain America, Rio 2, and well behind the number three movie, which is that Christian thing, Heaven is for Real, y'all. Uh, that seemed <laughs> to make more sense to people than Transcendence. Uh, Transcendence bombed, seriously bombed. Number four, $11 million. Uh, oh at least the best thing that Transcendence can say is it beat the opening of A Haunted House 2. Mm. <laughs> That's like beating the opening of Poop. Huh, guys? <laughs> okay, Kelly. Women, my theory is like women um, don't see Johnny Depp get cancer and not be in a movie. Don't think and they don't want to see him. I don't think that's yeah. what happened. Yeah, that's, a, that's not the movie that I saw. Uh, and, and one of the... One of the noteworthy uh, data points on this, on Transcendence only making $11 million and coming in uh, fourth place, uh, When one of the important things that you look at when you look at a, a movie's opening is how many screens is it on. Um, so 
uh, Heaven is for Real opened on 2,500 screens, whereas Transcendence was on 3,500 screens. It was a much wider opening, and it made half as much money as Heaven is for Real. Uh, so part of what we're seeing there is what happens with these Christian releases. They get targeted to church groups. They have a great turnout. But we're also seeing there were a lot, a lot of empty seats, and that was certainly uh, our experience, Dingus, uh, for Transcendence. A lot of people didn't go. My audience was crowded, but probably because they couldn't get into God's Real. Heaven is for Real might have been. Yeah. Heaven's for Real. Yeah. Let's do that movie. Learn a well, but song. first, Kelly Wan, why don't you go ahead and spoil Transcendence oh. for everyone by uh, doing something I was certainly looking forward to probably about 10 minutes into this movie. I was like, well, <laughs> at least we'll get a synopsis out of it. So, Kelly Wan, why don't you give us a synopsis of the events that occur, that transpire in Transcendence? You mean transpire? <laughs> if that's the way you want to go with it, yeah, let's hear that. What transpired oh. in Transcendence? Hey, remember a couple weeks ago and I said I'd some, I heard someone say something was going to be de-scoped? And you went, what? That's not a word. Mm-hmm. This week I heard someone say de-add something. I remember some friends of mine used to make fun of me for talking about a car uh, de-accelerating. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand why. I was like, well, what? It's when you slow down, you, you accelerate and you de-accelerate. What's the deal? Yeah, <laughs> that probably was the original word back when you used it. Transcendopsis. I mean, wait, do you have any guesses for what it's called? Transcendopsis. Good. <laughs> Hi, I'm Legion and Priests Paul Bettany. <laughs> well, my last two apocalypse movies were light-hearted romps about demonic ice cream trucks and whatever Priest was about. <laughs> Tonight's trilogy finale is a very serious matter, so I hope that you not only cherish my acting, but pay attention to what first-time screenwriter Jack Paglin and first-time director Wally Pafista are trying to say about CG, using CG. I mean, uh, five years after the first act, the world ended when my best friend came back as an app that possesses rainwater. (laughs) Hard to believe that something as soul enriching as Facebook is gone forever, and that instead of normal doorstops, now we have to use computer keyboards. Because the apocalypse also destroyed our knowledge of hinges. By the way, I caused the apocalypse, but so far all these people around are being cool about it. (laughs) After my daily ritual of watching the computer keyboard, I went and stared at the last two sunflowers. I think my friend's wife's soul is in one of them. That's another thing I guess my computer virus did. Eventually, a raindrop falling off one of the leaves makes me remember a bunch of stuff I wasn't present at. (laughs) Five years before the droplet. And so, I'm Morgan Freeman. I've given a speech about computers. Is this still the Lucy trailer? Thus I say unto you, my college roommate, Johnny Depp. Uh... Mild applause, Tom. You're now in charge of sound effects. Audience, thank you, Tom. Audience members, Nobel Prize winners, and hackers. Uh, audience laughs, Tom. Titter, titter, titter. Yeah, you got us. But seriously, if I put all your combined brains inside this thimble, the artificial intelligence I ate at lunch would be worth ten of its molecules. I will now mock your questions. 
Yeah, uh, are you saying our computers use a faster OS than God's? That's a brilliant question. My answer is, isn't that what men have always done? Oh, uh, that's not an answer, uh, <laughs> but I have no follow-up. Thanks. Johnny, it's me, your wife. I know quite a bit about computers, though, of course, I never lecture. Nor I, your mutual friend, Paul Bettany's character. I don't know what's going on with that yet. Huh, we're terrific. I thought telling the audience how dumb they are played pretty well tonight. How much did we clear at the gate? Hey, Professor Depp. Uh, I take you want me to sign that gun? Long the Videodrome. Johnny, no! Pretend you there's a gunshot noise. Yeah. <laughs> now the pretense is unnecessary. Um, then he's... The other guys all. Okay, I'm shooting myself now. Uh, don't try to stop me. Okay, Mara, you're just gonna walk away. Okay, that's cool. I think I maybe misunderstood a couple aspects of our relationship. Uh, I mean, attention, fellow humans, unplugged today for an energy-free tomorrow, or from our children's futures, we'll be forced to borrow. Okay, I'm gonna do it. Oh fuck it, human life's too precious. And he does it. And in other news today, computer stores were blown up, and everybody but Morgan Freeman ate poison cake at all the same time. Up next, professional bullet irradiation specialists say they're getting a bad rap. Greetings, Morgan Freeman. I am a computer named PIN, which stands for Artificial Intelligence Computer Thing. Number five, can you prove you're aware? Computer to Morgan Freeman, can you? <laughs> Regardless of your answer, access granted, please proceed. My God, this is the smartest computer I've ever made. That's Morgan Freeman, by the way. What have I done? Johnny, please, this great pudding's getting room temperature. Hey, Abba, Abba Zabba, Acorn, Acrobat. <sighs> We're almost done. How much alphabet's left? Johnny! How you holding up, buddy? It's me, Paul Bettany. Well, the man who shot me hates computers but loves bullets. I guess logic isn't one of a crazed lunatic's strong suits. <laughs> man versus machine. That's strange, Carla. Your breasts seem the same size for once. That's because of this. My God, you're a robot. Well, I'm still interested, perhaps even intrigued. No, Paul, this is a CPU fan I stole from the lab. Is she British? Hang on. <laughs> We can use it to upload Johnny Depp's brain by having him recite the alphabet into this boom mic. Obviously, I have to restart from the beginning. See, I can't do British. She's a British Australian. She's a, she's yeah. a British expatriate who's lived in Australia for a while, obviously. Well, uh, you know what? Actors are a lot smarter than I thought, because it's really hard to not become Australian. <laughs> uh, back to me, Rebecca Holotaki. We'll upload Johnny Depp's brain by having him recite the alphabet into this boom mic. Obviously, I have to restart from the beginning, but... Damn you, Ingrid, he's not a monkey. Don't say that. Guys, I'm right here. Uh, oh, I think I'm about to... Uh... Johnny, no! Hey, can you guys hear me? I'm in the computer now. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, audience, where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my voice. 
it's all this porn. Stop <laughs> markets. <laughs> Elizabeth, how do we know it's not our own computer taking over the world? We should put it on power saving mode until we get some IT guys. Save my husband, get out! Winfred, I thought you'd like my idea. I said out. Paul's uh, Paul seems confused. <laughs> hey, look what I just scored at Candy Crush. Stupid British. What the? Paul Bethany, my name's Kate Mara. This is probably a wig. I need to keep you prisoner until you see that the guy who killed your friend was doing the right thing, except for helping Johnny Depp get into a computer. That was not what we had in mind. You gave me a black eye, and now you want me to help you kill the woman I wanted to steal from my best friend? What kind of sick Australian bastard do you take me for? <sighs> Maybe I should just move to London. That's the easiest solution for the synopsis. I worked with Johnny Depp or Morgan Freeman once. We were there when we made the monkey do the alphabet. All the monkey would do is scream, you maniacs, you blew it up. You have to help us blow up Johnny Depp's mainframe, or we'll be using keyboards to keep doors open. <laughs> is that the kind of world you want to live in? Look, I'm not an idiot, okay? I know this man well. Plus, I'm an esteemed scientist. Not that I give lectures. Maybe these pamphlets will change your mind. These all just say idiot on them. And by the way, if you didn't want him to upload himself... They make these things called normal bullets that you might want to look into. <laughs> look a little faster. <laughs> Paul Bettany going rogue. Want editorialize unnecessarily. <clears throat> How is your quinoa? Johnny, making eating noises is actually a little annoying, especially all the farting. Sorry, I was just trying to make you feel more comfortable. Your irritation, endorphins, and sad face emoticons are a hot for. Look at these graphics. Damn you, Johnny, you're not allowed to just know what I'm feeling. Women hate that. Why are you showing me pictures of bank vaults? It is a play on the phrase, tough room. Speaking of which, I thought of the perfect place for our second honeymoon, Radio Shack. Oh, Johnny, your voice hasn't changed a bit. What is this thing you call love? It does not compute. Oh, Johnny. You guys still there? <laughs> yes. Caroline, <laughs> <laughs> we have a clawfish, great things. Our billions of dollars have transformed this ugly small desert town of cripples into one with tunnels under it. That way we can control the temperature, a technology impossible at Sila. <laughs> Computers like cooler temperatures, the ones you get near the Earth's core. Oh, Johnny, we should have used a better dictionary. Meanwhile, in a cage containing Paul Bettany. Right, so forget what I said about not being an idiot. I was being dumb when I said that. Look, I suddenly realized I can hack his nano-zombies and implant a virus in them so nothing electronic will ever work again on planet Earth. I had a feeling my friend might get shot, uploaded into a coffee machine, and start making zombies with super strength. Now, I'm going to need three guys with Uzis who won't use them. Fuck, Sarge. Wait, that's Sarge. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Got to totally change character. Fuck. Our truck tire just splashed through a mud puddle. Delta 9, our mission aboard. Repeat, hide on the roofs. 
Uh, I think that was supposed to be Sarge, actually. <laughs> Sarge, Johnny Depp's possessing the rainwater. Damn it, Corporal, how's that even possible? No idea, sir. If he's getting his power from solar panels, you'd think all this rain would be kind of dumb for him. What about all these crippling kid zombies? They're staring at us, sir. Damn, hold the line, Corporal. Something dumb will happen on its own. <laughs> it's PG-13. Vera, I am suddenly out of power somehow. I only have enough juice for three more eating noises. Oh, Johnny, it is you. I guess my hysterical character was right all along. Destroying the world has really opened my eyes. I must something. Oh, Johnny. And that's why I stare at flowers all day. The CG in this puddle. Much like the spinning top at the end of Inception, which is a metaphor for Noah. So remember, if you get shot by an irradiated bullet, sure you could go to the hospital. But in the end, is not bombing Best Buy really worth the risk? I'm Paul Bettany. Thank you for paying to see me do this. See you in January, probably. I ran out of time. Say the end. What are you talking about? Say the end. Amen. The end. Transensus. What happened? What happened? What happened? It was... Uh, I don't know. Is it really just a matter of a first-time director and a first-time screenwriter? I'm trying to think what it reminded me of that was better. Oh, well, I'm sure Dingus could probably answer that one. Dingus, any ideas? A dude getting in the computer. Has that happened before? Tron? (laughs) It's Tron without... Dingus had an answer. Oh, I'm sorry. What did he say? I'm sorry. I said her. I mean, the easy the easy thing when writing the mini synopsis would be to say this is him. The the intelligent way this is this is made is it's it's made as her. This is terrible. Oh, good God! The hell's? Did you I see don't think her? Kelly has seen her. So yeah. why don't you unpack that a little bit, Dingus? Kelly, did you see her? Not yet. Been really busy. All right. Well, that's. Uh, I want to see it. This makes you want to see it. Yeah, well, that's a relief because this would make me not want to see any movie. Well, everybody likes it. it. Seems like. Well, that's that's an idea. That the whole idea of her is is an operating system that a man falls in love with, basically. So it's handled uh, interestingly, as opposed to. Yeah, uh, and it also this movie also calls to mind the fountain for me because. Uh, what uh, dingus? Take that back immediately, or explain yourself. One of those two things. Uh, because there's a number of moments where these, uh, where she's sitting there next to his bed and she's trying to save his, the work of his life and she's trying to find a way to save him. Um, and she's trying to cr- find a way to Oof. save his creativity. And there was a number of, of moments where, where I felt like the, the experimentation and whatnot called to mind the fountain. It just, I mean, it, in a horrible way. It's just that this movie has no idea uh, how to tell its story, even down to, and I don't understand this for a guy who, I, I don't know, I guess, you know, movie making is so segmented in some ways, but for a guy who's been around movie making for so long to, to wind up with, with something that's such horrible storytelling is beyond me. Well, it, it says to me just that, so Wally Fister has been a cinematographer for a long time and he's mainly, uh, hitched his wagon to everything Christopher Nolan has done up until 
Did he do Inception, Dingus? He he won an Oscar for it. Yeah, thanks. So what? Uh, he didn't do uh, following and something else. I think there might be one of them. But at any rate, he's been working with Christopher Nolan, and Christopher Nolan's movies look gorgeous. Uh, yeah. And I, I just think it's a matter of you, – you call it segmented, Dingus. I just think it's a matter of just because you're a fantastic cinematographer, there's no assurance that you know much about how to make a movie because Transcendence is so leaden and awkward and just, Not just, just slow and ponderous. It doesn't, it doesn't look good. Exactly. I was at least hoping, well, at least Wally Fisher will know how to make a great-looking movie. But right. I just don't think – I, I mean, Tim Burton. Well, you know, there there are good shots of things close up. I mean, he's good at like these little shots of minutia, like water droplets, uh, and and but, like, I, I mean, but he's good with, technically. With, but as yeah. far as making it fit into the narrative, I don't think. Oh no, is. no, yeah, okay. um, no, no. I'm I'm just talking about the visual of like somebody wearing a a headset on their head or a close up of an eyeball or the close up of water droplet or a flower or any little like a little technical thing that's a close up of of those little the little bits of minutia, but he has no idea how to string that into a narrative at all. Yeah, uh, and I don't think the fact that this is a again as a script, this is a Ugh, this is ridiculous worst, as well. Um, worst, worst. It really, yeah. So I, w- I do want to bring up two things that it reminds me of that I think uh, one of which is horrible, one of which is really good, but both of which I think are better at this conceit. Um, there's a 1977 movie, which I haven't seen in a long time, and I just watched it, uh, with Fritz, uh, Fritz Weaver and Julie Christie, where uh, Fritz Weaver's a scientist, and he creates a new AI, and the AI becomes self-aware, and it wants to get out. And so what it does is it hijacks – because it needs a, it needs a terminal. Uh, so it hijacks <laughs> – this, this movie is set in kind of the near future. It hijacks the computer terminal at Fritz Weaver's house where he's just broken up with his wife. And, and this new AI is going to live at this house uh, and it's going to use Fritz Weaver's wife, played by Julie Christie, to create a physical version of itself. And the movie is called Demon Seed. Uh, that's what I thought you were talking about. Yeah, I, mean, I can't remember it was Julie Christie. It's Julie Christie, and the movie's terrible. And it's got this remember weird... the ending? Pardon? Remember the ending? Yeah, well, yeah, of course. And it's the same kind of thing here, where the, right. the computer wants to incarnate itself as a human, uh, and it wants to be, the AI wants to be born as a human and share human experiences. So it basically, but it has this rapey angle to it, where it has to impregnate yeah. Christy. She's not on board for any of it. Right, until definitely. it turns into her kid at the end, her dead kid. Uh, right, well, spoiler, but yeah, exactly. So um, it's, from a, it's from a Dean Koontz novel, if that tells you anything. But I think it's more true to this idea of this AI wanting to come to life, and it plays it like a horror movie. And one of the really cool things in Demon Seed, probably the only cool thing in Demon Seed, which is mostly just uncomfortable and weird and awkward, um, is the, the computer creates this weird... I don't know what the shape is. It starts as a diamond because there's a smelter in the lab in the basement of the house. And the computer hijacks the smelter, and it creates this big copper iron diamond, and it starts adding shapes to it. And it can unfold and fold itself. And it's this this strange cyberspacey-looking construct that breaks into the real world and crushes people, and it can manipulate things. Um, so it's got that going for it, Demon Seed does. Um, but it's this whole idea, you know, what if this AI became super smart and got loose and wanted to become a person? Um, it's like Saturn 3, but 
You, yes. She doesn't leave her, her house. It's like a it's like a home invasion Saturn three. Exactly. Very good. Kelly Rapey Rob. robot. And the sex scene, by the way, where Julie Christie gets gets drugged and the robot impregnates the AI impregnates her. Um, it's this weird, trippy 2001 like psychedelics scene. That's what it would be like, like, dude. Yeah, that's what sex with a robot. It's your house. Yeah. Um, but the the more recent movie that this reminded me of, which watching Transcendence made me really appreciate this movie. Uh, there's a British movie called The Machine, which I mentioned. Oh, I wanted to watch that. The Machine is so just sleek and sexy, and it's the same idea of how do you deal with this AI construct and deciding it is a human? How do we interact with it? What do we do with it? Do we trust it? Do we not trust it? Uh, and what is this one scientist relationship with the AI? Uh, and the machine just on, it, it's just a, a fantastic example of every single thing that transcendence flubs and things like how to get performances, how to make it, give it a human element, how to look really sexy, how to have an awesome soundtrack, so the suspense, the eventual payoff. Um, yeah, so I, har- I heartily recommend the machine. Yeah. Well, a lot of what you're talking about makes me think of Lawnmower Man, sadly. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what this movie is. It's Lawnmower Man 2.0. It really is. It, it was sort of like her done as the Lawnmower Man. Well, as it was going, it I was thinking there's a there's a there, there's a cool script. There's a cool story that could be made about a scientist on the run, assisted by a super smart AI who right. can run interference and get her money and help with surveillance. And, and I thought it was going to be like a chase movie. And instead, it becomes this really ridiculous thing where they entrench in the one town. And I mean, the fact it, it, that it makes no sense, given the time, it, it makes no right. sense at that, that, all. A title card that three years later title card. I was yeah. like, what? They've been <laughs> sitting on their asses for three years. And then, the, <laughs> then the government finally will show up after two years. OK, guys, uh, now we're going to. Yeah, and their plan is to dig a tunnel. <laughs> yeah, when, when they come running out of the tunnel, it's like the Lucy trailer is on before this movie, and then in this movie, it's like his godlike power consists of giving giant bionic muscles to dudes who work for him. Uh, but they're not even giant bionic; they're just people who can lift up. And the idea too—they're all cripples. That Clifton so Collins big. Jr. was supposed to be lifting something that was eight hundred pounds. Yeah, you couldn't tell. That's how yeah. she. That's, that's how ineptly it was shot. Yeah, exactly. oh, wait, what's supposed to be heavy? Well, I think of I think of like the tall man lifting the coffin in Phantasm. You know, way back in 1978, whatever, we knew how to shoot that. That's yeah, right. and you go, wow, that motherfucker's strong. And right. in this, I'm like, oh, I guess that's heavy. Right. Because, even though he doesn't look <laughs> like he's straining. That's the part he needs him for. Lifting. Why do we need the two years later? Why do we need that? Why do we need the framing device? I don't understand why the two years later. I don't understand that. Because look at all they had to put up all the solar panels for two years. Well, who, who, who cares if, if he <laughs> has that really power? <laughs> if he has that amount of power, it's I mean, out. Also, you know, yeah. If you have trucks power. driving into this town and we're building this huge thing underground, why do we need two years later? What the? And the, the government was, isn't going to bother them for two years and I, rift. The rift isn't going to bother them for two years either. I well, we're just going to bide. We're going to bide our time for two years. Dingus, that's how long it takes for the AI to learn how to make a body. You have to, because otherwise the movie would be implausible. Yeah, that's a good point. 
Why two See, years later? Wrong. Why? To enrage you. Oh, it was two instead of three, so at least I, I gave him an extra year. So uh, Three, two, I don't remember what it was. Two or three. I mean, it starts, it, what enrages me is that it starts with five years earlier. I mean, that's what that's what drops the needle for me. I want to give you guys a list and see what you think of this list. You ready for this? Here's a list. Alice in Wonderland. The Tourist. Rum Diary. Dark Shadows. Lone Ranger. Somewhere in there, there's a Pirates of the Caribbean sequel. These are the most recent. These are the latest Johnny Depp movies. I've come to the conclusion a Johnny Depp. That's not a Johnny Depp movie, Kelly Wan. A cameo does not make it a Johnny Depp movie. I've come to the conclusion that a Johnny Depp movie is synonymous with a really terrible movie. Oh, and I don't know why going to see Transcendence, I was kind of thinking, oh, Johnny Depp is in this. It's going to have a budget. It won't be terrible. And so when I got back, I was like, well, wait a minute. What's the last good thing he did? What is and, it? Uh, I don't know. What is the uh, – for some reason, I thought there was something five years ago. Where I was like, well, I better start this list after this. Oh, uh, some people like Public Enemies. I wasn't that crazy. Oh, no, no. <laughs> that thing was horrible. I, 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 I agree. I, I was so looking forward to this part of the discussion because this is the part of the discussion that's, that's the um, – the uh, Dwayne Johnson, Harrison Ford part of the discussion, because uh, I don't watching this, especially that moment where Johnny Depp, when they first go into pin and he pretends he's sick all of a sudden, and he's just doing this weird, like, (laughs) I don't think he's any good. And so who's better that who is the, the analog to, uh, to the, to the Dwayne Johnson, Harrison Ford thing. Everybody thinks Johnny Depp's a really good actor. So who's a better actor yeah, than him? So that everybody thinks is bad. My contention is that Channing Tatum, but he's that might be too easy because everybody thinks Channing. Wait, what? I don't understand what the Johnny Depp's not a bad actor. Well, here's the deal. I think I he's think terrible. I think he's terrible in general. Even no. like Ed Wood. Well, I, Johnny Depp. That's the thing is he's got Ed Wood. He's got Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I mean, he's I think so it's good a writing at writing issue. I don't think. I don't know. Well, no, no, it's not just a writing issue, Kelly. Wan. I I would say, and maybe this gets to what Dingus is talking about. I think it's a career issue. I think he's given up. He doesn't care. He well, was offered twenty yeah. million rather than taking his normal percentage of the gross for the movie. He was offered a straight up twenty million to do this movie, and he did it. And I don't think he gave a single wooden nickel while it was filming, and it shows. Well, remember There's, in Pirates of the Caribbean, he did. Oh, I'm just go ahead. Well, they, well, they, I mean, and they're they're you know Pirates of the Caribbean. I think part of it too is he came in with just this outrageous, flamboyant right. disregard for the subject matter, and right. it kind of worked right. because the subject right. matter was already kind of weak. But otherwise. I mean, I don't think he's done a real performance. I don't think he's cared about something that he's in since I, I don't know how long. It is a little like Bruce Willis in Die Hard 5 where you just – you can feel the boredom pouring off of them. Bruce Willis at least has energy. Exactly. Giant Depp is like – But he's supposed to be – that kind of dude, isn't he? Well, but Kelly Wan, so what is the last time that you felt Johnny Depp really, and, and is leaving aside, so Pirates of the Caribbean is a good pick, but aside from Pirates of the Caribbean, when's the last time you felt that he was really an, an added uh, benefit, an added value to a movie? Uh, I guess Imaginary, I'm a Dr. Parnassus. That's a fair. That's a fair pick, but where a lot right. of people kind of came You know what? I like the people in Alice in Wonderland until the dance. Then I didn't like it anymore. Yeah, I was never into the shark jump. I, I don't think. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's added anything to a Tim Burton movie. I mean, Tim Burton movies have so little to add to anyway. But I, I don't. I okay, but that's a fair point. I mean, if you like that, Ed Wood, he's good in uh, Fair and Loathing. 
Those are the two that I came up with, so you got to pick others. It's good in Rum Diary. Like, his acting's good. No. No? Yeah. No. Rum Diary, yeah. I don't, I won't even take... You can almost believe that he's... Of the Caribbean. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is him. He's, he decides to make a, uh, an, do an impression of Keith Richards, and that's what he does. And the reason that it's singled out is because it is this lively little bit of something in another one. Yeah, without it. Cookie cutter, cookie cutter formula, uh, Michael Bay kind of, uh, movie. Although but they tried, they were gonna fire him for that. Like, he stood the line. Right. And won. But well, and like, he did the same it. thing in Lone Ranger, and how, how well did that go over? See, I didn't see it. I only, maybe it's the most amazing movie ever. Uh, here's, an, uh, here's another early sign for me that this movie is not going to work. When Killian Murphy shows up as a federal agent. <laughs> Wait a minute. Who cast uh, Killian uh, Murphy as a federal agent? This character again? I didn't understand what that dude. <laughs> so I, I love when he pops up and he's like, it was dioxin. And we're like, what? Where, where, did, it's dioxin. where did Scarecrow come from? That's awesome. He's the doctor and the policeman. Did you guys notice a shot, and he's in the cast list, I don't think he had any dialogue, there's a shot of Xander Berkeley walking down a hallway and opening a door. Do you remember that? Yes, because uh, Xander Berkeley's supposed to be the, the guy they refer to for the rest of the movie, whose name sounds too much like Johnny Depp's character name. It's a terrible idea. Does he have any dialogue? They, do they, I guess his stuff got cut out, but if I'm not mistaken, he never once, there's one scene of him with no dialogue. Am I am I remembering that right correctly, Dingus? You're you're absolutely right. And his 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 name is Castor, and they're constantly referring to the work Castor. of Castor. No, no. Oh, Tank. Oh crap! What's his name? Is it someone's last name? No, his name is Stinkin. Casey, and and Johnny Depp's oh. name is Castor. They're like Casey's working, Castor's working, Casey's working. Yes, and that they bothered to cast. Xander Berkeley as this guy, and they never give him anything they, to do. They cut out all the scenes, I guess. I didn't. I didn't realize. Now that you mentioned that, because that does sound a little familiar. Is that? Oh, that's who. Because I don't think that I distinguished. I thought every time there was a C name, it was Johnny Depp's character. Yeah, so, that's what I thought too. But I, I slowly started to realize. Oh wait, that's another dude Morgan that Freeman? they're referring to. That's Casey. No, it's not even Morgan Freeman. It's not, yeah, there's so many characters that are totally pointless. Oh, I early well, thought. Morgan Freeman's got to be the bad guy because of the way like he moves uh, his face yeah. and and sort of that sly. And because this is this is a terrible, standard, awful thriller, then Morgan Freeman's going to have to be the bad guy. But there's not a bad guy. <laughs> so, yeah, at one point, wanted, at right. one point, Rebecca Hall comes running in and she's like, "What did you do to Martin?" And I was like, "Who the fuck is Martin?" Yeah, <laughs> that's my name, Martin, in this movie. <laughs> and why does she care about him? And oh yeah, I guess what did they do? Let me uh, stand by to hear the answer to this. <laughs> Who was Martin? Martin was the Clifton Collins Jr. character. I eventually figured out. Uh, That's who the they, construction worker who's yeah. who his injury <laughs> is. A couple of random dudes beat him up outside. <laughs> it's not even a decent injury. Because <laughs> he was throwing money around in the cafe and spent $3,000 on It's not even a decent, like, a motorcycle wreck or something where, like, we must rebuild him. It's like, he just got punched outside. <laughs> Those two guys can't find work. They're just going to mug that dude. Johnny Depp needs help lifting shit. Well, it, she, she, I mean, it seems like there was an employment boom in town. I don't know why those guys didn't get in on that action. Exactly. They could make Ted like Johnny Depp. Never mind. Uh, do you have some favorite uh, Techno Babble lines? Oh, God. The one that stood out for me, I love a guy when they're hacking the uh, FBI headquarters or whatever. A guy proclaims, the incoming queries are all anonymized. 
<laughs> yes. Wait, what's the first line? Anonymized? Yeah, they're all the in the anonymized. queries are all anonymized. Does that mean anything? <laughs> means that the there that's that means federal government, Kelly Wand. Uh when okay, mine was when she Okay, it's after Johnny Depp's dead, and she's going, no, we got to do it. We can figure it out. And then she just sighs miserably to Paul Bettany. She goes, I've tried everything, uh, analog, character creation. So I, have, I have a list for these. I wrote these three down. You want to hear the three things she yeah, mentioned? I, I missed one of them. I right. one. She goes, I've tried everything, language processing, language coding, process. coding, and cryptography. <laughs> sort of the everything. Cryptography. And the thing is, she's uploaded this information. It's like she can't find it or she can't tell if he's in there. So these are the three processes, language processing, coding, and cryptography that she's going to use. To like, it's like looking for a file you've saved and not remembering which directory you put it in. Which I can relate to, admittedly. But doesn't she go – isn't coding like the even – like even coding I tried? Like it gets an even. It might be. Yeah, like that was the really tough one. Like co- yeah, like coding's not involved with the other two. Wait, wait. We need to wipe the drives. <laughs> wipe Will? His name is Will too, so it's another confusion. Uh, what we need to we need to wipe the drives. We turned everything off because you turned off the off button. So let's yeah, wipe the drives. So let's turn it back on and wipe the drive. So that's another thing is that I, I feel that the, the editing the pacing was absolutely inept and part oh of it God. was the, the bad editing. For instance, this idea, why are you gonna have a sequence of them shutting down the computer and then remembering, oh yeah, wipe the drives and then turn it back on? Just go to wiping the drives. Um, there's a scene where uh, she is asleep and the Johnny Depp computer wakes her up and says, I, I want to show you something. And she says, okay, hold on, let me get dressed. And then we should cut right there. But instead, for whatever reason, we watch Rebecca Hall get up and get out of bed, kind of walk across the room. She kind of goes into her closet and she comes back out and then it cuts. Why on earth? Like, who is editing? There's so much dead space in this movie. Maybe she thought it was in the closet. And there's no sense of setup or payoff at all. Uh, I mean, that moment where she goes to the high school for the first time, there's no sense of what, like, why is she, oh, that's right. This should be the the sequence where she's taking this place to set up this awesome computer network. She just wanders into a school, and then later on, we're kind of there. I don't know if we're there. I don't know what's going on. And then the the very worst thing is his death is so poorly (laughs) handled. It's the worst death reveal of all time where it's like, hey, uh, Hey, oh, wait, the siren goes off. Are you there? And then Paul Bettany wakes up, who's sleeping next to him. And he's like, uh, let me put my mirror <laughs> under his nose. Yeah, this is over. That's how you're going to do this death scene? Really? That's what you're going to do? And she's shocked. She's like, oh, my God. What? I didn't but, see this coming. But, Are they done with that dictionary in my mind? That whole thing is terrible, and and what, what Thomas said is absolutely right. That that there's so much air in this that should not be there. It's just you should be cutting to his death. Boom, show us his death, and then show us the upload, and then we're gonna wipe the drives, and boom, boom, boom. Not all this other silly flapping about with, hey, are you awake? No, he's asleep. What's going on? Oh, okay. Hey, so the virus at the end. Kills all those people, or because then they go, oh, they they didn't kill anyone, and I'm like, who's they? Who's anyone? 
Yeah, the what? spider. It's the Spider-Man nano webs. They they incapacitated everyone. Nobody got killed. See, because he's a good guy. That's the twist, I guess. They mean Johnny Depp didn't kill, or because I thought they meant the zombies didn't kill them, which meant they just stood there. Arbitrarily. I, think he, I thought they meant the military guys didn't kill anybody. Oh, I thought it was the that was the military guys saying that though. Oh. Wasn't it? I don't think anybody killed anybody because it was PG thirteen. Yeah. Right. So it was a completely uh, yeah it was it was a completely non lethal encounter. Especially, I mean, with that dopey howitzer that they rolled out. Between two groups characters we don't give a shit about and don't know, well, pretty exactly. much. Uh, Kelly Wan, did you think that Kate Mara made a very convincing blonde? Uh, carpet matched the drapes. Uh. <laughs> One, two, three, not only you and me. Uh, On 80 degrees, and I'm caught in between. I didn't buy her as a blonde for one so yeah, It's irritating. Yeah, that's terrible. So she's, it's the guy at the end. Eyes, and then she keeps wearing it. Like, wait, that's not, That's her actual hair. <laughs> she wears it public. So does okay, that wait. guy have to be blind again at the end? Yep. Hmm. Yep. Because and then, and not only that, we don't have Facebook anymore. What do you think of that, Dingus? Oh is, it, is it worth the price that we paid? What was the kid? The kid's part of the zombies. He didn't even have a. a he didn't have a mugging job. Uh, he, he didn't have uh, a, He probably had autism or something. He got cured of. It's just the town of all handicapped. It's blight. Uh, what did you guys think of that uh, of that that presentation that Johnny Depp gave? At the beginning or at the end when he when he uh, kills her? Oh, I don't know how you're going to do it. <laughs> Kelly Wand, it's a segue. Uh, he's. I don't uh, see when dumbasses try to write smart characters. It is funny. <laughs> it is cute, kind of actually. I don't know if I'd seen it with you guys, maybe I would have laughed through it. But it was so slow. Fuck. Oh no, we we definitely so were laughing. Dingus was a definitely annoying people in the theater by by laughing. I was keeping a straight face. I was being it's very respectful audience. of the subject material. I was. Well, yeah, it's all right. It's bread and butter, isn't it? No Facebook, Tom. Imagine it. It'd be so bad. Doors would just close. We couldn't do anything. Uh, I, right. I just want to say that my uh, my podcast partner and my partner in life uh, will now be uh, telling us what the three by three is. Yeah, Kelly, one, you're terrible at segways. Oh my god. <laughs> See, Dingus had to come in for you. I'm good at the vehicle kind, as long as I don't drive it. I'm good as a passenger. What was the question? No question. Uh, so normally, Kelly, when we play the Britney Spears, and then after the Britney Spears, something happens. You're in charge of that this week, I believe. Well, I was uh, waiting for the You're three by three. So, Kelly, when let's do a three by three. I guess I'll throw Oh, yeah. Why? Because the Britney Spears played? My three by three for this week was three by three presentations. And, and what did you what? take off the table? Uh, Death Star? I thought there was another one. Could be wrong. All right, so we can't use the Death Star brief. Is that a briefing or a presentation, Kelly Wand? It's a debrief. No, it's not, because it's before they shoot down the Death Star. Wait, what are you saying? The debrief? It's a briefing. 
What's well, let, let's find out what different people thing? pick because, uh, you know, I tried to go with I'll, – I'll be introducing next week's 3 by 3 so I'll start us <laughs> off. I tried to go with actual presentations where things were being presented to people rather than a briefing. Like I, I thought of a brief – actually, that is it. In a briefing, you are presenting things. That's what I'm saying. An auction, the auction at Oculus was by – Is that a presentation? Well, it was to me because I was watching it because I didn't know I was in a horror movie. So, the, so an entire movie, you could just pick your favorite movie, and that would be your favorite presentation. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Assuming that you were watching. Well, I didn't do that. I instead picked where things are being presented to people. And uh, I, uh, so here's my number three pick. It's a, it's a, it's a movie that isn't widely enough appreciated. Um, and every now and then, I'll try to get somebody to appreciate it by showing them one of two scenes. One of the scenes is Ryan Reynolds and Jason Bateman explaining to Leslie Mann that they've switched bodies. That's the best way, I think. I've been the recipient of this experiment. Yes, and that's the best way to try to sell someone on the movie, the change-up. Another great way to sell someone on it, if that doesn't take, if they then, like maybe several months later, still haven't watched it, then you can bring out the nuclear option. Okay, okay, dude. You go like this. Okay, dude, if that didn't get you to watch it, I'm going to now show you the scene where Jason Bateman, his character in The Change-Up, is a lawyer, and he's about to have to present his uh, legal findings on a merger. And unfortunately, before he can present this, he switches bodies with Ryan Reynolds, who is a dumbass actor. So Ryan Reynolds as an actor is in Jason Bateman's body, and he has to go to this presentation in front of these two legal firms and present his legal findings about this merger. Merger or murder? Merger. Merger. Okay. So that's the corporation one. Yes. Um, uh, And I I love this scene. I love a lot of this movie. I love how uh, Jason Bateman and Ryan Reynolds – play at uh, imitating each other and I, d- I love the Jason Bateman legal presentation uh, and the counterpart by the way is uh, Ryan Reynolds inhabited by Jason Bateman's lawyer character showing up to shoot a movie that turns out to be a softcore porno shoot <laughs> so just enjoy that as well not a presentation and though. Leslie Mann somehow winds up as the other as the actress in it so they're like oh this will be fine that's not true. And uh, Kelly, I'm guessing you haven't seen the change-up. I don't see movies about body switching unless I see other movies about body switching with actors switching bodies. All right, well, this one would qualify. Uh, what? They're both brown-haired. That's not... Isn't it because of the fountain, too? Uh, the movie? The <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't Ryan Reynolds and Jason Bateman go see the movie The Fountain, and then the time warp in that movie makes them switch bodies. That was uh, what I was No, yeah. That's, you, you, I think you've gotten confused. We're way ahead of me on there. Okay. Well, I'll see it then. Because that's the scene you should have showed me to try and entice me to watch it, was the pee scene. Uh well okay I'll I'll try that next time alternatively uh I recommend folks watch the change of I don't know why nobody liked I guess body switch movies are a tough sell there have been so many bad ones right what are you gonna do uh the Judge Reinhold one's good because he learns to play the drums That's and he switches with Kirk Cameron is that right am I remembering no that? oh so Kirk Cameron switches switch? with Deadly Moore right oh Operation who does Judge Desert. Reinhold switch with Fred Savage. Oh, from Princess Bride. No. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Diggis, what's your number three favorite presentation? 
All right, I went for, with presentations that were basically impromptu, and they're they are kind of like briefings. Um, well, it occurred to me even saying that, Dingus, it's kind of inane to maintain that a briefing isn't a presentation. It's one of the many stupid things that as I'm saying it, I realize, oh, I'm saying a stupid thing. I should probably stop. <laughs> uh, welcome to my world. <laughs> so these these are briefings, but they're they're impromptu. They're like they're they're things that the character didn't expect to be doing at this particular moment, but they get thrust into. Um, this is the one I'm least happy with. I'm most happy with my number one, obviously, because it's my number one. But my number three is from Midnight Run. And... <laughs> it's been too long, I think. It's, it's when Jack Walsh, played by Robert De Niro, is presenting to the FBI and they're on a Learjet headed to Las Vegas. Um, and he's and he's and he's Telling Yafikado's character, who is uh, obviously Alonzo Mosley, um, why exactly <laughs> Jimmy Serrano is – why he's going to get Jimmy Serrano, who's Dennis Farina's character, why he's going to get Jimmy Serrano when they are at um, McCarran Airport. And and the, the, the presentation he's giving is because he understands the law better than all of these FBI dudes do. And I love the way that he presents it. And he says, if he just steps foot – Inside the airport, he's committed an overt act, conspiracy, conspiracies to, to obstruct justice. And he's schooling these FBI agents on what conspiracy is uh, because, because he's telling them, you know, the idea is it, it's kind of like entrapment, but uh, he's got these computer disks that he's let, uh, let Jimmy Serrano think have all this information on them, but he just has whatever – computer disks. He's just going to be at this airport and Jimmy Serrano is going to go there and get them. And the FBI is like, but wait, if there's nothing on the computer disks, why does that even work? And this this cop, the Chicago cop who's been disgraced, he's this great character, Jack Walsh, he understands a lot better than these dudes do and they're on this Learjet heading to Las Vegas. And a friend of mine whose father worked at the FBI just laughed so uproariously when they're like, all right, fuel up the jet. We're headed to Las Vegas. He's like, oh, my God. The FBI does not have money to fuel up a jet. They can't do that? No, they don't have the money for that. They'd have to but ride a regular airplane, wouldn't they? They would have to walk, I think. Um, but just the the way Jack Walsh is like, this is what conspiracy is, and this is why conspiracy works. All he has to do is this. All This is an overt act. All he has to do is... You know, even if he brings a gun, in, if his friends bring a gun in, I just love the way that that presentation of how they're going to get Jimmy Serrano is, and then it ends, of course, with with Yavacato's character going, "Put a put a wire on this man because he knows that, that Jack Walsh knows what he's talking about." Kelly, one thing always confuses me with these when some of the times he's real particular about calling like Yafet Kato's character Alonzo Mosley, and other right. times he'll call him Yafet Kato, and sometimes he'll say Yafet Kato's character. I feel like Dingus exists at several different layers in relation to right. Midnight Run. Like he's got this, like he's just plugged into it at so many different levels, and he's moving around amongst them that he's just so in tune with it, and I, it, it confuses me sometimes. Well, sometimes he likes what the character did, but sometimes it's the performance. Right, right, exactly. And sometimes he's relating more to the actor and sometimes to the character. But it's always, he never names De Niro, it's always Jack Walsh. Like he, Yeah, I hear that a lot. Yeah, I'll bet he could tell us Charles Grodin's, I couldn't for the life of him, if you were to put a gun to my head and say, Tom Chick, I'm going to shoot you right now if you don't tell me the name of Charles Grodin's character in Midnight Run, I'd be like, well, it's the end of my life, goodbye world. I couldn't tell you. Is that your guess? <laughs> Let me guess. His name is 
Don Polanski. Was that close? Kelly Owen, what's your guess? What is Charles Grodin's character's name in Midnight Run? Uh, Piwacket Shamblers. I like your guess better. Genghis is either of us close. Uh, neither of you are close. Oh, okay. Let me try again. I think I, I wasn't really trying. Kelly Wand will try this all night, Dingus. Oh, God. It's, this is like shave, this shave and a haircut game from Roger Rabbit. It's so bad. Was that a game? What game is Dingus on about? What is that? It was a way, way to trick. Shave the way he draws out Roger Rabbit. It's the way he draws out the rabbit. The, the way Christopher Lloyd goes, shave it's more of a ruse and a hair cut. Things I'm not trying to draw you out. Everybody listening to this podcast knows that you know Charles Grodin's character's name. There's no doubt anywhere. Isn't it just Charles Grodin? For something we already know. (laughs) What's his name? I'll Google it if I have to. It's Jonathan Mardukas. All right, let's move on. Mardukas? (laughs) That's that's almost as good as Seaman Beaumont. (laughs) Seaman Beaumont. Well, Seaman... Mardukas is that is that uh, big old great Dane in the comic strip. Well, he's known as the Duke. He's the Duke. He's a, he's a they all seaman. Ridiculous accountant known as the the Duke, and he makes him just like, oh, you're this meek little accountant. Well, my name's Jonathan Mardukas. That's why they call me the Duke. Uh, <laughs> damn you, damn you both. I have a quiz for you guys, real quick. It, what is a movie where a character is known as uh, the Machine? Uh, dark Half. Dingus, is that? Re- does that bring anything to mind for you? I hope I'm not screwing this up. I'm going to Movie the machine that you mentioned earlier. No. No. Too out. Okay. Uh, okay. What if it? Uh, it's also a play. <laughs> a twister. Oh, is that Yeah, yeah. Isn't that Jack Lemmon's character? They call yeah. him. The, doesn't Al Pacino call him the machine? And he's just this sad old man. Uh, yeah. What's it? Sheldon, right? It's Shelley. Yeah. Yeah. At any rate. Kelly Wand, what is your number three favorite? Pre- Can't wait to see where you go with this topic. What is oh. your number three favorite presentation in a movie? This one's my least interesting because it's kind of more iconic. Well, as the other two will make you go, oh, stupid. Because the other two are I from know one of yours, and I know one of yours, and I know why you picked this. You do? Yep. Hmm. Is it? Uh, I'll give you a name. All right. Vincent Natali. Who the hell's that? <laughs> Well, then maybe I'm correct. Never mind. All right, go carry on. We'll get to it in runners up. Natali. Never mind. Carry on. You think I'm smarter than I am? That's a common mistake. <laughs> All right. What is your number three pick? Estimating me. Wait. Uh, my number three is the movie RoboCop One, where they um, try and teach the accountant how to shoot robots, but he misses. Uh, you're, I, yeah, you're, you're, I don't know why you don't like that, because that's my number one pick, is uh, the Ed 209 presentation. Oh, it's just my least interesting. Like, I think it's, because it's an obvious one. Well, it's an obvious topic, Kelly Wand. Oh, it hurts <laughs> me. It's, uh, it's really good. Remember, yeah, it's when we get a paramedic. It's amazing. See, I, I really think it's, it's maybe that's one of... the movie. <laughs> I really think it's maybe one of Verhoeven's finest uh, bits of work. I mean, if you were to look at everything Paul Verhoeven has done, a lot of it is uneven. Because uh, I, I think that that right there is kind of RoboCop in the, the, the concept of RoboCop and just the overall vibe of it in one scene. Just the over-the-top nature of it. The way it ends with, uh, with that uh, – Humor. Dip. 
Uh, Dick, I am very disappointed. <laughs> after after the after that crazy over the top, you know the they, yeah. they cut. I think for the the ratings, they yeah, they cut did. down how how many bullets are shot into Mister Kinney, that guy who's so eager to help, and it's just so gratuitous how gory and extended it is. The shooting of that guy back onto the model of Detroit City. I mean, there's just so much going on in that scene. Um, it's not just some blood squib um and i, oh, I chill out of them yeah it, it's a bunch of them and it goes on for far too long Ever. uh the ed 209 design looks great i mean it goes on he's already dead and the ed 209 still keeps shooting his body yeah um, the overall design of it i love the look of the ed 209 it's where you first see it i love how it recalls robocop's visor you know the the, the hood of the ed 209 yeah. looks a bit like the the helmet that robocop wears it's a huge story um, beat too it's a great story beat and i even kind of think the ed 209 is uh this is something that wasn't in the robocop remake but the ed 209 in the 80s version he's kind of cute I mean, there's something yeah. a little endearing about him. Yeah, but and it definitely is when he's like when he's going down the stairs and he's like. Rah, rah, rah. Well, even before, I mean, that's like when you first debut, when he first comes comes out, and he, I mean, everybody in the room gasps and jumps, like he's he frightens everybody. But he's there's something kind of endearing and cute about it, and they they wanted to make him look more menacing and cool and sleek in the RoboCop remake, and that's fine. That a very different thing. But well, it's what, a metaphor then for drones. But what they're doing in 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 the original RoboCop. Is there's this kind of cute little endearing robot that does this terrible, gory, bloody, over-the-top, gratuitous, violent thing. Um, and I just love the contrasts in that scene. I love that presentation. I love what it says about you know corporate America and science. You know, there are those scientists in their lab coats clustered around that little rolling uh, control panel because they roll that into the boardroom and they cluster around it and they're trying to fix it. Um, yeah, there's a technical glitch that... God, it's, it is a really good one. Well, I remember, too, in the elevator afterwards, is it Miguel Ferrer go? Or is it the other go? What's the black dude's name? The one we're supposed to sympathize with? Other I do guy. not remember. That guy's all, boy, bummer about Kinney. And then Miguel Ferrer goes, life in the big city. <laughs> like, that's what that meant. Well, uh, Mr. Kinney, Kinney is so eager to please, like, when he when he gets up to he's help excited, the yeah. demonstration. He's excited, and he screws up, too. You know, he's, he's uh, like, when... He, when the robot, this crazy big robot with guns, is pointing at, is tells him, you know, you have 20 seconds to comply, Kenny looks over to Ronnie Cox before he drops the gun. Like, he's more <laughs> concerned about his superior, who he's sucking up to, than this robot pointing guns at him. And he doesn't uh, dive behind any of his superiors, either. Well, they, he gets put, no, he gets pushed out into the yeah. open. Yeah, they are all, and that right there, it's this little statement about the nature of corporate uh, politics that, that I think is part of what, what Verhoeven was wanting to make a movie about. Yeah, it's something dumb malfunctioning at a, in a, at a conference, everyone going, all right, well, that's good, because now we got this other plan now. Dick, I am very disappointed. <laughs> I just love that. And there's even, too, just the way... It, it doesn't cut away after he gets shot. Like there's this moment of chaos and people running around and you hear someone say, does somebody want to call a goddamn paramedic? (laughs) And he's exasperated. (laughs) All right. So that's my number one. Well, it's a great one. So wait, that wasn't the one you said. Oh, it's uh, your, this will be on your list. No, no, I think I, I thought because you've talked about this one scene before, and I thought you were specifically using this three by three to bring up this scene. And maybe we'll get through your next two, and you will have forgotten about right. it, and I'll remind you during the runners up. Okay. 
I just want to make sure, because RoboCop, I thought, was like the most... Well, I do think it's an obvious one, and I, I suspect if we got any listener submissions, that will be... I predict we see a lot of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let me then go to my number two. Kelly, your, your number three is, is RoboCop. My number two favorite presentation, and this is a little unfair because it spans multiple movies. Um, my number two favorite presentation is... The, the presentation itself is the ultimate moment of humiliation in this movie. And it's what follows the presentation that makes the movie – you're kind of uncomfortable about who you're rooting for because at this point it becomes like a revenge movie. And, and this presentation occurs in all three versions of King Kong, 1933, the 76, and the Peter Jackson remake. And it's after King Kong has been captured. And we have all this stuff in Skull Island, and the movie transitions to its final act in New York City. And it's King Kong on display as a presentation for civilized people. Like, look what we've brought from the wilds. Uh, and we're going to put it up here on a stage and present it to you, and you're going to look at it. And it's the ultimate humiliation for King Kong at this point. And, of course, he gets loose, and he gives those people the what for to varying degrees in all three movies. Um, so in the classic version, and I didn't remember this. I haven't seen the, the classic in, in forever. He actually eats a dude. Like, he picks up a dude, and he puts the dude in his mouth. And there's a little stop motion of King Kong eating someone. The original one? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, like you it, know, there isn't bananas that are his size. I guess so, but I didn't know in 1933 you could show a giant monster eating a person. That was before they fucked it all up with the MPAA. I guess so, yeah. Well, there is... Why so, they did. It's the Temple of Doom of the 30s. In the Dino De Laurentiis one, the, uh, well, actually, it's... um. Did he, who directed it? Uh, not him. I forget. Okay. I well, was... by the way, speaking of Jonathan Mardukas, immediately after the presentation, the presentation has Charles Grodin, and this is, I don't think it's supposed to be funny, but it absolutely looks like a joke. Uh, King Kong is in a cage, and he's chained up, and inside the cage, he's pulling at the chains, and he pulls his arms free from the chains, but he's still in the cage, and there's a shot of Charles Grodin, who's the guy who caught King Kong and brought him here, and he's narrating the presentation. He says into this, the, the microphone, don't worry, folks, it's an escape-proof cage certified by the New York City government. And in the very next shot is King Kong shredding the cage like it's just paper mache. Um, 70s, and then, Mara. And I guess so, yeah. And then uh, Charles Gordon gets stepped on. Uh, and don't you just see his hat, or am I... No, you don't. You see him. His hat actually falls off. He, he he falls to the ground, and the camera's looming above him. And it does that stupid horror movie thing they used to do in the olden days where the camera's the monster, and it, it sort of moves in on the victim. And the victim just looks into the camera and screams and raises his hands. Uh, so that's what Charles Grodin is doing, and the camera comes down from above to show that he's getting stepped on. There is, however, I didn't remember this. There's a lot of crowd work in the scene. You know, this is back in the 70s, I guess. They didn't have CG to make crowds, so they had to assemble a crowd, do a lot of work with extras. So there's a lot of extras, like, running around in crowds, and there's a really cool overhead shot of the crowds moving around on the ground like ants. And it's so far, far overhead that there's a top-down view of King Kong walking through the crowd, leaving behind footprints of mushed people. Well, yeah, and they're wriggling, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because all they did is, in the crowd work, they just lie. They just told them, okay, now lay down and pretend, you, pretend you've been crushed. And on. then they just uh, superimposed a picture of King Kong where he would step. So, yeah, it looks like they've been stepped on and they're wriggling and crushed. Yeah, it looks really gruesome. Yeah, that is more horrible, really, than nothing, or even a bloody smear. Well, what do you think? Uh, 
Yeah, what do you think Peter Jackson did? Uh, remember, CG crowds. Like uh, Kong is like swiping around, knocking people's bodies around, and it's all just CG. You know, it's people getting it's King Kong like ripping his, like waving his, his what do you call it, a paw, a hand? What do you call <laughs> monkey's hand? A paw, <laughs> waving his paw through the crowd, and then an airplane. Bodies go flying. The famous Stephen King story, the monkey's hand. <laughs> monkey's hoof. Hi guys. Um, so at any rate, just that uh, that presentation of King Kong carried, and it reminds me, by the way, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed the T Rex getting loose in in San Diego, but it's kind of Steven Spielberg screwing up what I presume was an homage to King Kong, where the T Rex comes to San Diego. You know, it never gets put in captivity and displayed; it just gets loose and runs around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what that was such a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it also was like. You can't even get the T-Rex to land without issues cropping up because dinosaurs are so awesome. <laughs> you don't even know how I got out of there or in there. Well, but I, I just love just the chaos of, you know, the people looking and scared. And when it gets loose and then wades into the audience, like that's that's really King Kong. King Kong. I mean, King Kong gets it right. And it seems like that would have been a much better way to have a T-Rex get loose in San Diego is everybody's looking at it and it gets loose and just eats the audience. Uh, that's. You know, it's, but, right. but whatever, Spielberg, do it your way. What do it I know? It's a dog, doesn't it? It does. It eats a dog uh, that's barking at it. Is it? Doesn't it eat the dog that's barking at it? Yeah. Spielberg is willing to kill dogs. I'll give him that. He killed Pippin in Jaws. So. Oh, right. Yeah. He hates dogs. He hates dogs. Plus 1941. Did a dog get killed in that? Well, they dropped bombs on Tokyo. Someone would presume. Yeah, that there were a couple casualties. What is, I saw a movie where uh, in Japan, while it was being bombed by the Allies, a family had a dog, and there was this little martinet who was running around enforcing like the lights out stuff so that the in the city, and does he, he kills some family's dog in Japan because it's barking and might alert the Allies? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Uh... In RL? Some movie. I guess you guys haven't seen it. Okay, oh, well, never what yes, kind no. of dog is a good uh, Nazi double agent? Uh, what? Adoptioned. Wow. That's awesome, Kelly Warren. My mind is blown. <laughs> Dingus, what is your number two favorite presentation in a movie? Uh, my number two has the following bit of dialogue. Uh, who's giving the briefing? You are. Uh, so this is, uh, this is one of these great impromptu briefings. This is from the hunt for Red October. And this is when Jack Ryan, uh, is going into the White House and the director of the CIA, who is played by James Earl Jones, has told him that uh, there's this thing going on with this submarine that the Russians have lost. And, uh, and Jack Ryan says, well, gee, is, does it have a, and, uh, he says it, and then the CIA director says, uh, silent propulsion drive. And so they're going to talk to the, the, the leader of the NSA or the president's NSA advisor, president's national, national security advisor. And, Jack Ryan is like, oh my god, we're going to talk to that guy. That's amazing. Who's giving this briefing? And um, and James Earl Jones says, you are. 
And he says, don't worry. We've got all the slides loaded up. Everybody will put all those things up for you. Don't worry about it. So there's two presentations in Hunt for Red October that I love. It, the, the first is this one, where where Jack Ryan, played by Alec Baldwin, has to actually talk to the president's national security advisor about this Russian sub, and and mainly because he's an expert on Marco Ramius, who is Sean Connery's character. And he... What? It's so funny. I, I haven't even mentioned... Mark, I can't believe Marco Ramius is the name of Sean Connery's character. Yeah, it's Marco, Marco Ramius. It's Russian. It's Russian. Is he, is he Irish? Marco Ramius? What are you... I don't... It's Marco Ramius. Marco Ramius. Ramius. It's not Irish? Marco Ramius. Oh, here comes Marco Ramius. Wait, it's... Marco is a Russian name? Well, it is now. Yeah, like Dutchland. Well, there's a K in it, not a C. Think of it oh, as a K. Okay. Marco uh, Ramius. Ah, Marco. That's what the premiere was, says. Was, Dingus, was Tom Clancy just just pulling our legs with all the names like Simon Simon Beaumont and Marco Ramius and Ah, uh, you remember Simon Beaumont? Only because um, yes. Marco Ramius. Uh, well, Tom Clancy's a strange name. Tom Clancy. This is his first. Tom's he was a, he was an insurance salesman at this time, and he wrote uh, this thing, and he got it published by the naval, basically the the uh, the Jesus. navy press. Like uh, like the 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 U.S. Naval Academy Press published this novel for him. What? And it was, yeah. yeah, the U.S. Naval. Wait, so it wasn't like Random House or something. It was just like the Army. I mean Navy. Sorry, that's the boat one, right? Yeah, that's the boat one. They went. Wow, this thing about a Russian nuclear commander is amazing. We really want. Civilians to read. Who were they selling it to? Ding. It's like was it was it something they were selling to to people? Read it aloud. Yeah. Uh, Entrances <laughs> danced. <laughs> so anyway. wait a minute. Hold on. This makes it sound like Tom Clancy's first novel was taxpayer funded when it was published. Uh, well. <laughs> I don't know that it was. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily true. But there was a group called the Naval something. I don't know the Naval Press, the Naval, the Naval Community Press. I don't know what it was. Oh. <laughs> it was the Na- It was the Navy, like some sort of n- a Navy-oriented uh, publishing company. I see. Okay, and, it wasn't the the Navy necessarily. No, I, no, I don't think so. But but it wasn't. He wasn't able to. He wasn't able to get it published in sort of normal like random house or whatever but he was able to get it published through uh this this naval special it was it sounds like some kind of specialty press that okay but it but it was related to the naval institute it was related to annapolis in some way i don't know if annapolis is the right way to put it but it was it was related to the the navy um and he was because it was such a cool they just thought it was cool. They were like, "This is a really cool and a really good uh, public relations thing." So yeah, we'll we'll publish it. I, I can't remember what it was. You so they didn't make him change best, names like Marco Ramius. They weren't like, "Ah, this name. Can we come up with something that sounds more Russian?" Right. Yeah. Well. Okay. Yeah. So he thought Marco Ramius sounded like a, a regular Russian name. Anyway. All right. So I'm sorry I interrupted you. So you mentioned so there's that briefing there, but what's the other, the second presentation in Hunt for Red October you were going to well, mention? Well, well the, what's great about that briefing is that that Jack Ryan does this whole thing with these these slides that somebody else has gotten up, for, gotten onto the screens for him, and he he does this whole thing on the fly. He it's not helped, his own PowerPoint presentation. It is not his PowerPoint presentation. There's no such thing as PowerPoint. He just there's there's like there, there's no such these, thing. The foggy pictures with with uh, 
you know, circles drawn around them. And this is Marco Ramius. And this is the, the woman that he was married to, who was a ballet dancer and she died. And, and he's all freaked out about it. And, and then he goes and sits down. And then as, as he sits there after giving his presentation, he realizes he's sitting there and he realizes, Oh, he, he makes the mental leap to, to realize, Oh, this guy is defecting. And, and in the middle of this, briefing he finally he just sort of blurts out i know what's going on he's defecting so the second presentation is <laughs> is uh a little bit more a little a little smaller and it's when jack ryan makes his way onto the submarine and um and he talks to captain bart mancuso <laughs> what's his rank yeah how could i have forgotten yes. bart mancuso mark Oramius and Seaman Beaumont. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, he, and he's telling Bart Mancuso that, uh, and he's having to convince him of the same thing. So basically, he's giving the same presentation to this captain while the captain is in the middle of what this captain thinks is uh, a moment of war and, and, uh, and a military uh, a military exercise. Not a military exercise, but, but a dogfight. An underwater dogfight. I don't know what you would call that. But he thinks he's He's in pursuit of uh, a hostile enemy who's going to start World War III, and uh, and Jack Ryan is having to give a presentation to him right now. These these here, this is what I think is going on. Let me lay out everything for you. This is everything I know, and he and he has to convince Barman Cuso. This is what is going on. Trust me. <laughs> What's his first name? Bart. Uh, Bart Mancuso. All right, so Dingus, I, I like this pick because I know you love this movie, and you're, I love that you're using this topic. I'm sure your number one pick will be from uh, Rushmore. Uh, you love that you're using this topic to bring up movies you like. Here's my problem with that as a presentation and Tom Clancy in general. That is such a freaking Mary Sue moment where you can imagine Tom Clancy as an insurance salesman who's totally into military stuff, and I understand that. You know, Some people are like that. They're into, like history or – or cars or sports or whatever. And Tom Clancy was in like military hardware and that kind of techno stuff. And he's imagining, yeah, what if I was such the expert that they just had me brief the NSA? Like <laughs> it was me doing the briefing. And my, counter, my counterpart scene to that dingus, what it makes me think of when you're describing that. And yeah, it works because the movie is about how cool Jack Ryan is. That's fine. But the, what it makes me think of is the scene in Zero Dark Thirty where Jessica Chastain has to shut up and sit in the corner while one of her superiors briefs the equivalent officer, not officer, but briefs the equivalent, I don't know if it's a cabinet member, I forget who it's supposed to be, but she has to sit in the corner, and isn't it Jay Duplass? I forget who's in that scene. Mark, but, Mark Duplass. Right, 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 right exactly. And, and, and the information that she's come up with has to be delivered to a cabinet member level member or an undersecretary or whomever, and she can't be the one who does it. She has to sit quietly, and at some point, something gets said that she doesn't agree with or that needs some elaboration, so she she dares to speak up, and and the guy says, who is she? And she comes back because she's just so mad, and it's so much about her character at this point. She says, I'm the motherfucker who found that guy. Uh, I just love that moment in that briefing in Zero Dark Thirty for how briefings like this you know, you don't get glory. You have to sit down and give your – it's a bureaucracy. You know, you have to give your findings to someone else to give to someone else to give to someone else, and then it will get kicked upstairs. Uh, and I just love what that moment says about both her character and bureaucracy uh, in the U.S. government. Whereas Tom Clancy is just like, yeah, what if I was like so smart and so cool that they just had me give the briefing? He's the bureaucrat. 
<laughs> no, he's the one who cuts through the bureaucracy. And, and not uh, only that, is while the bureaucracy is squabbling, he's the one who figures out the mystery and knows why Marco Ramius is defecting. Um, so I don't, I don't mean to poo-poo your picking. I mean, it, it certainly, uh, you know, as far as like a, th- a spy thriller, uh, yeah, that's, that's the way it should be, I guess. That's how briefings should go. I know all Tom Clancy's first drafts were done on PowerPoint. It's <laughs> not how you write novels, Kelly Wand. Oh. Well, no, it's a documentary. I still can't believe Bart Mancuso's an actual name. I thought Bart was his rank. It's Captain Bart Mancuso. Captain Bart Mancuso, sorry. Because Captain Mancuso sounds like a plausible name. Once you throw in Bart, I, <laughs> I don't know what to do with Sergeant that. Sergeant Nick Fury. It's commander. Eh. Wait, Wait Commander, Commander Bart Mancuso? You let Tom prattle on in accurately <laughs> that long? I'm outraged. Kelly Wand, give us your number two favorite briefing or present. Hey, Tom. Yes. What kind of dog would make the best pope? A collie. No. Oh, well, uh, a Saint Bernard. Oh, very good. Right. Did you read that in a bazooka bubblegum wrapper? No, I wrote it in a bazooka gum wrapper. They should hire you. I would chew a lot more gum if they hired you. I was doing it to get hired. I was doing it for the love of the gum. My number two presentation is from the movie Splice, although it's kind of a ripoff of the Robocop. Who directed that, Kelly Wand? Uh, David Bowie's son. Vincent Natale. Right. Oh, so you were right. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one, though, isn't it? We talked about this. I love this one, yeah. It's my. It's not a movie I like, but it's my favorite scene in it. Although I think I remember liking Splice at the beginning, before the thing turned into a French actress. <laughs> well, tell us. Tell us about the presentation. He was better. Oh, so they have to make a presentation to the stockholders. So they made these two organisms that are like eels, and they're like, "All right, uh, here we go." Watch them mate or something, but then they just kill each other and blow up. Did you know there's a sequel to Sharknado called Stonado? Uh, I, I knew that, and I don't care. Uh, they, they, it's, it's like really gory. It's like very Cronenberg-y at, at that moment. It, 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 yeah. You know what? It even has a little touch of Verhoeven's Ed 209 scene. Doesn't yeah, it? that's what I'm saying. Like now that I, now that it's on my list right after Robocop, it feels a little. Oh, derivative, actually. But I really like the acting by... Because Adrian Brody and Sarah Polly are the scientists who are in charge of it. And I think up till then, we're supposed to kind of think, well, they, they, they're they together. They're pretty good scientists. Like, they know what they're doing. But then after that scene, like, oh, they're idiots. Okay, got it. Yeah, because these two gruesome organisms maul each other in front of the stockholders when they're supposed to demonstrate something about... I forget even what they're demonstrating, how, how everything should be running smoothly, I guess. Yeah, but... The, I remember liking the... Like, they just look kind of crestfallen afterwards. Like, damn, this didn't go well. Like, they're, they're like that level of crestfallen. Like, less crestfallen than Miguel Ferrer, even in the Robocop. But they don't say anything funny like the Robocop characters do. So, yeah, I, should, no one, too, I should transpose those. No one comes up to them and says, I'm very disappointed. Oh. It's doesn't really it ruin. Doesn't it, like, trash the room, too? Like, yeah, and it makes everyone vomit and die. <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh uh-uh. uh. And then their boss is like, you fucking married idiots. And then, unfortunately, the rest they of the take it to a barn. And they're like, all right, we, well, we, we've got a good handle on things. We just need to move it to a barn. 
Uh, All right. Well, my number one was uh, the Ed 209, the RoboCop pick. So, Dingus, that's you. What is your favorite presentation or briefing in a movie? It's an impromptu one. What? All right. Here's, here's a quote from it. And please, speak as you might to a young child or a golden retriever. Oh. It wasn't brains that got me here. I assure you that. Oh, I know what this is. Kelly Wan, do you know this? It's No, I was trying to think of a golden retriever joke. What if what? I tell you who the actor is who's saying this line? Oh, then I'll know everything about Jer- everybody. Jeremy Irons. Oh, the mission. Wait, no, Dead Ringers. <laughs> Wait, no, no, uh, Reverse Fortune. Wait, no, no, Dungeons Dragons. It's obviously Lion King. Lion Heart. <laughs> You've no idea. <laughs> uh, uh, Jeremy Irons. Is he Magneto? He should be. Yeah. His hair is like iron filings. That's how he got his name. Uh, all right, oh. just, uh, explain to, Ding- to Kelly Wand what, what movie this is. This is called Margin Call, and um, the presentation is an impromptu pres- presentation for, um, for this guy who's running everything, Jeremy Irons, uh, asking Peter Sullivan, played by Zachary Kinto, uh, to tell him what exactly is going on here. No, wait, why couldn't Tom Clancy name someone Peter Sullivan? It's a nice, normal, plausible name. Well, that, that's why, as you were going on about, I don't know what your Mary Sue... What, is it, what did you call it? Mary Sue moment. Oh, your Mary, Mary Sue, Sue moment. this idea that, yeah, in, in, in fiction, that the author is just imagining a glorified oh, version of his own life. Yeah, I see. So there's this, this kind of this moment where Zachary Kinto is that, is that same uh, Jack Ryan character. Where uh, where uh, Jeremy Irons stands up and says, uh, actually they've they're they're going up in the elevator and uh, and Simon Baker's character is saying, all right, uh, I'm giving you a piece of advice uh, before we go in there. Uh, things are going to get ugly, but whatever you do, just tell the truth. No sugarcoating. Don't change a word. Uh, no, uh, the, the, no one here is smart enough. Not even that rocket scientist. And Zachary Kinto is the rocket scientist scientists they're talking about they've had a mini briefing or a mini presentation earlier where where zachary kinto and i can't remember the other dude the the other dude who who's blowing into the beer bottle what his name is um but and uh, and kevin spacey and it's not paul bettany but uh paul bettany uh, uh, you know when we're talking about financial stuff today as we're as we were watching that stupid movie we had to watch i'm just like paul bettany why can't you do a good movie? Oh my like, god, that's right. I forgot. Good lord. Why, why can't you do this? Like The Margin Call. What other movies has he done that are as good as Margin Call? Ugh. I love uh, where he's breaking down how much money he made in, in the year and right. like and how much what he spent it on. And uh, Yeah, I forgot that. I totally forgot that's Paul Bettany because I'm so used to like Priest and Legion and, and Transcendence. Jesus. Right, uh. right. And, and when I was thinking, when we were sitting there watching Transcendence, I was just, and he starts talking about financial stuff. I was just like, uh, margin call, <laughs> and then I started thinking about presentations, and then I stopped thinking about transcendence. Anyway, um, so he gives a mini presentation, and then Jeremy Irons stands up and says, "Now, uh, tell me what's going on. Who's going to tell me?" And Kevin Spacey says, or, "No, I think Simon Baker says." Well, uh, Peter Sullivan is the one who's going to tell you, and and Jeremy Irons says, "All right, tell me. Don't don't sugarcoat it. Just." Tell me what's going on and speak as if you would to a young child or a golden retriever. And uh, Zachary Kendo stands up and gives this great sort of 
mini breakdown of the financial destruction of the United States, and it takes very little time. It's pretty simple, um, and I love that. I love that presentation right there in that little room. I really feel the the biggest failing in margin call. Actually, there's two. We've talked about it before. The the biggest failing in margin call is what is Demi Moore doing in there? But the other biggest failing in margin call, I really, really wish that Jeremy Irons had had cut his hair in that scene. He, he looks a little he looks a little shaggy. To be I think this. he's he's supposed to look sort of like a Richard Branson kind of character. Ew. That makes it even weird, weaker. No, I now, now I like it even less, Dingus. <laughs> I think he's supposed to be a little shaggy, like my guess Richard Branson is, or um, or Bill Gates or something. Like that. That's 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 the more charitable. It's two thousand eight. Explanation. Time, man. That's the more charitable explanation. My guess, Dingus, and I could be wrong, is that he was shooting something else, and that J.C. Chandor didn't have the pull to tell him to cut his hair, and it was supposed to be long for his other movie. I don't know. I just think of the business. Uh, maybe it was a business thing. Like he's he was supposed to be in some period piece with long hair. Who knows? But speaking of uh, J.C. Chandler movies, um, did Robert Redford lose hearing in one of his ears doing that movie? Captain America? What are you talking about? I think we all did. All right, never mind. Wait, lose hearing in one of his ears doing what? All is lost. What are you talking yeah. about? Why would he lose hearing? Uh, in it one would of be called only one ear is lost if he had. Do you mean is this like something about in the context of the movie or some something that actually happened to him on the set? What are you talking about? Yeah, do, doing all is lost. I I was listening to a podcast last week, and I and I was listening to some guy who worked with him, uh, and the guy said, "Yeah, well, he lost hearing in the ear, but other than that, and I wondered permanently. Yeah, I wondered if during the filming he actually during got the scene where it turns around on him. I don't know. Any, anyway, I thought maybe you would know that. Anyway. Well, Chandler, gonna, I love him, and I love Margin Call, so that's my number one. If you're going to lose your hearing in a movie, you could do far worse than losing it, and all is lost. Mm. Kelly, what's your number one favorite present? I'm sure he appreciates that. Uh, my number one is uh, from the worst movie on my list, but I thought it was right to mention in Willy Wonka. I mean, no, wait, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Tim Burton one when the kids first get there and then all these animatronic robots come out and start doing a little show and then they start they catch fire and start melting towards the end and then Johnny Depp saw uh, it started off slow but really picked up at the end there I thought that was really good awesome all right what do the readers have to say about favorite presentations or briefings <laughs> impromptu or otherwise from motion pictures. Fred Bo, Fred and Lynn here to kind of follow this week's 3x3. Three three. Sounds a little grudging, huh? Number three, Raiders of the Lost Ark scene where Indy's at the blackboard explaining to the G-men what the Nazis are after. Oh, and one of the G-men blinks and he's written, I love you on his eyelids. I love that too. <laughs> and the other one leaves an apple on the desk. Isn't, aren't the eyelids in the book that he opens? Number two, this is one of the worst presentations in a movie for many reasons. Bad makeup old man Guy Pierce and Prometheus. <laughs> what? The one at the beginning? Yeah, they drop like a little holographic thing. I, I got uh, Is Guy Pierce even in that presentation? I guess so. Well, I, they thought, need he, I thought he was going to be. I thought they were going to suggest the TED presentation that was part of the oh. marketing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, or he's normal aged. Yeah. You mean? 
I do like when uh, this would be an impromptu one when Ripley gets hauled out in front of the Marines to explain why they're going to LV four twenty six, and they don't want to listen to her and they don't care. And Ripley does the like uh, Sigourney Weaver does this thing where she's trying to catch her breath. She's not used to like speaking to other people about this. Like she does this great little actor trick where she's not breathing correctly while she's trying to talk to them. Uh, I love that little presentation. The one I thought you would love was the one where the where the where she's in the um, oh, yeah. in the corporate <laughs> in the corporate office and the, the extra like grabs the papers. Right, the head. She's waving the papers and all this stuff. It's the same thing there. Like she's not used to addressing people. Uh, yeah, and they have in the background the I guess they're not their headshots, but they're definitely these promotional stills they shot for the movie Alien, and they have them up as their personnel files, you know, the, right. like Harry Dean Stanton back there and Yafet Kato and yeah. <laughs> that's where you found out her first name's Ellen, isn't it? Or is it the third one? Well that's she exchanges names with, with Dwayne Hicks, by the way, named after Dwayne Johnson. Not many people know that. Huh. Uh, she I exchanges first names with him in the direct or the, the extended edition, I believe. Did you Actually, know is that in the, the basic cut? The basic cut? Of like, is it the theatrical release of Alien? Do they do the, I'm Ellen, I'm Dwayne? Do they do that thing in Aliens? I'm Ellen, I'm Dwayne. I do remember she says to the alien. Whatever. All right, so anyway, we interrupted Fred Bowes. Did you know Dwayne Johnson was named uh, after Haywood Nelson's character on What's Happening? That's a TV reference that I don't understand. I'm sorry. That's what kind of... Number one, the Tony Stark bio-presentation at the Apogee Awards great introduction to a character in a movie i'm assuming it's from an iron man movie. he wasn't even there it's a it's an award presentation and he wasn't there for it no because it's how he made his character roadie has to accept the award right i'm sorry fred bow i think there's some confusion among the podcasters I do, like, I do like Dominic Cooper as Tony Stark's dad doing yeah. the World's Fair presentation in Captain America. In See, the I think one. he'd make a good Doctor Strange. Except Ooh. I mean, I don't know who that is, is what I meant to say. <laughs> Ooh. It's the guy you thought was Doc Savage. <laughs> <laughs> or wait, the other way around. Switch that, reverse it. Uh, very nice, Kelly. Dear Rhiannon McLean writes, Dear Tom, Christian, Kelly, Juan, here are the three best presentations in films. Number three, the video presentation in Class 3B in Battle Royale. That's a good one. Do you remember that, Tom? You probably haven't seen it. I you don't, don't remember the video presentation. I mean, I, I remember the movie, but I don't remember the video presentation they showed. Does Rhiannon say anything specific about it? No. Okay. Number two, the Happy Birthday David promotional video for the whale industry's David 8 Android. Kind of a cheat since it wasn't part of the actual film, but still totally counts. And way better than a fake TED Talk. <laughs> Rhiannon adds, much better than any part of Prometheus. Although it's kind of similar because it's not in the movie, isn't it? Or is it in the movie? No, it's a, I think, like she said, it was a, a little, it was like a kind of a trailer. Uh, it was part of their, their marketing before it came see, out. See, I, I always get it mixed up with AI when everyone, when people mention David the Android, I go, oh, the AI kid. But they always mean Michael Fassbender. I come they, from the, Haley Joel Osment's character in, in AI was named David? Yeah. Oh my god! That, everything. Whenever I hear, the more that people talk about Prometheus and say things about it, and I learn things about it, the more I hate it. Yeah, I told you I went to that site where they go, "We're going to explain what you didn't understand about Prometheus." But they're they just they go, "The answers are all in the movie," and then the first thing they quote is like from one of the marketing viral things. Same name as the kid in AI. Good lord! All right. Yeah, he grew up to be Michael Fassbender, Android. <laughs> 
Number one, Dr. Hyder's pre-surgery presentation to his human centipede. Completes <laughs> That's a great one. It is a great one, and it, but it's only it, – it mainly works. I mean, it, it worked – I mean, I, you can only ever see that at least once – Maybe not even that many times without knowing what it's going to be. And I'm, I consider myself so fortunate that I didn't, I don't think I knew the first time I saw human centipede. Yeah, like that was news to me. If you, if you know what human centipede is, when he's giving, when Dieter Laser is explaining that, you're like, oh, I know, I've heard about this big deal. But if you can get into human centipede not knowing what's coming and not knowing what this presentation is going to be, it really is an amazing moment, isn't it? Is the third one ever going to come out? I can only hope not. What? Come mm-hmm. on, we got to see what happens. The second one was a dream sequence, so the third <laughs> one's going to be really good. Uh, bonus boardroom presentation of the new Ed 209 and Robocop. Thank you, Rihanna. Somebody call Paramedic. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's a bonus. See, they didn't even make the top three for Rihanna McLean. But for you and me, Tom, it's all we can think Tom. about. Yep. Josh writes, hey guys, first time writer, long time listener. I missed last week's 3x3 and regretted it, so I thought I'd jump on this one early. What was last week? Last week's 3x3 was, uh, no, was it marriage proposals? No. Oh, oh, framing devices, of course. Oh. Because we saw a movie about a a mirror with an elaborate, evil, ornate frame. I don't remember that part. But anyway, uh, (laughs) hopefully briefings count. Wait, you mean the frame of the mirror? You know what I don't remember, Kelly Wand, is what movie we saw this week. Oh, God. <laughs> it movie, you know what? It made me miss Oculus. Yep. That's how bad Transcendence is. Yep. If I could take one to, if it could only be one of those on a desert island, I'd hate myself in the morning, but it'd be Oculus. And I'd look at the mirror the next day and go, it was your debt, man. The only movie I would not take. To a desert island. I would, yeah, that I would not take to a desert island over, trans- over Transcendence is when Harry met Sally. Dingus thoughts. How do you feel about that statement, Dingus? Uh, in when Harry met Sally, they watched Casablanca, so Tom would also not take Casablanca. Ah, uh, boom, Chakalaka. Tom rebuttal. I just want to hear what Josh has to say. Josh, right? Talking about, I can't believe we talked about Prometheus. We talked about when Harry met Sally. Prometheus, uh, I'm really uh, Prometheus comes up way too often. Like in general, it's just annoying that it's still around. I hear people they people tell me when they watch it, like that's news. I don't like that. I, I would like to invite everyone listening to stop talking about anything that Damon Lindelof had anything to do with. Although we only mention how dumb it is, so but is, it's kind of like the no bad press thing. Like we're all, we're helping him, I think. Well, you know what? There, the, it's a small like victory that there is no Prometheus sequel in the works. There is uh, no, there isn't. There is. There is no Prometheus sequel in the works. There is. And People talk about it. There's not one in production. There's no money attached to it. Nobody is going said? to make a Prometheus sequel. They said. They said, who's the they? They? Studio. They were Brian, it was Ridley Scott or someone. Ridley Scott is not the studio. Ridley Scott would love for you to think there's going to be a Prometheus sequel. So with Damon Lindelof, there's no Prometheus sequel in the works. She goes, the studio known as Cherry Lansing goes, it was Amy the Grill actually who announced it. Um, She goes, in the Prometheus sequel, there'll be multiple Davids. And even when she said that, I'm like, oh wait, so Haley Joel, wasn't it? There will be no Prometheus sequel. Ever. Like that's there how they're trying to sell it to you. Like, hey, we know you liked the fast better character in the duffel bags. So gonna- they will Kelly Wan, here you go. They will reboot Alien before they make a Prometheus sequel. 
They did. It's called the Alien vs. Predator and Prometheus. Wait, they did not a reboot. Not a reboot. Prometheus isn't a reboot of Alien. Um, I guess you could think of it. Well, it's a prequel, technically, isn't it? I don't think it's a reboot. Never. No. For anyone ex- Jump Street, Kelly wants to reboot. Yes, Dingus. It's an explanation. <laughs> Dingus comes in with a sandwich, makes us look like buffoons. Uh, back to Josh. Hopefully, briefings count as a subspecies of presentation. Or else most of this list is moot. See? You're right, Tom. Briefings and presentations. A lot of niggling. No, I know. I took it back. I was saying something and thought, wait, that's stupid, Tom. What are you thinking? And I tried to stop saying it, but it was too late. I'd already yeah, said no, it. So. Sorry, no. Yeah, sorry. It's like peeing. Uh, number three, <laughs> her songs Rescue Dawn. There's actually nothing special about this briefing, except that I love what Christian Bale did with this character. Place characters almost obnoxiously positive and optimistic at the center of a horrible POW survival movie really freshened up what would otherwise be a pretty played out scenario. Rescue oh, Don Werner Herzog? That's, well, he's saying it is, so we have to assume Josh knows what he's talking about. Okay. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like a, a Werner Herzog title, does it? It doesn't. It sounds like a Michael Apted. Oh. Or not Michael. It sounds like a Peter Hyams title, doesn't it? Uh, in this scene, Dengler. Is that from a Tom Clancy novel? Yeah, Seaman Dangler. Pete Dangler. Pete Dangler. Seaman Pete Dangler. It is Werner, isn't it? You just call him Werner? Yeah, I do. Me and Werner. Well, there aren't any other famous Werners when you think about it. Yeah. My son goes to Collins School. Remember? In this scene, Dengler makes the super awkward, unfunny joke that's really, I can relate, that's really just an excuse to praise another guy on the squad, and it really captures his endearing and true-hearted nature. Tom, you haven't seen this movie, and neither have I. Um, I've actually, I, it's one of those, I, I always remember when this happens, it's a movie I fell asleep in, and didn't mm. get to watch the whole thing. You so fell asleep in it, in the you- movie? You fell asleep during Rescue Dawn? I started watching Rescue Dawn. I, I rented it at some point, and I think dozed off and watched the rest of it and didn't. So it, it's if something Dawn's that wasn't. In the title, it does sound like you don't want to stay up too late. I guess so. Uh, so, no, I technically have not seen Rescue Dawn. I, I've seen it. It's pretty good. It is Werner. It is. They keep right. They- keep storing all this rice that they're going to save. It's really disgusting. Hey, so, Dingus, you've said before that. Uh, Movies about junkies are tedious. There's a sub, a kind of a genre of movie called junkies are tedious. I also kind of feel like um, prison breaks are tedious. God. I just have a hard time. Really? Is that is that just me? Prison what? breaks are. I don't know. I just I don't. Prison breaks don't do much for me. You mean an RL? I don't know an RL. I've never had to break out of a prison. But come on, prison break movies are they're all kind of the same. Like I feel like what's that movie? Um, an era there. It's not just uh, prison breaks. It's yeah. it's people in prison that's why i was reluctant to get you to watch a prophet i know exactly yeah. and as much as i liked that's the rust and bone dude right yeah right yeah as much as i liked that and what he was doing i just i have a hard time bringing myself to see a movie about people in prison even that's you're right Dingus. it's whether they break out or not uh, prison, prisoner prisoners are tedious okay oh no sorry Sorry, if you're in prison and you're listening to our podcast, I apologize for thinking you're tedious, but it's it's a it's a bias that I have. Does Papillon count? No, you got to see if they get yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, of course, Papillon, especially Papillon. It's like an old that, movie with uh, Steve McQueen. No, he almost makes it. 
Dustin Hoffman's a sidekick. Everything that can happen in a prison movie, I've already seen because Not that so. many things can happen in prison. Mm, well, you know, depends on how bad you need cigarettes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Remember that movie, Edmund? That's a good prison movie. It's not a prison movie, though. It just ends up in a prison. And that's a, also a David uh, Mamet play and not a movie. Uh, the fact that Stuart Gordon did it, though, I love, I love that Stuart Gordon was like, yeah, I'm going to do a David Mamet play as a movie. Wait, Stuart Gordon directed it? Didn't he? With William H. Macy, if, if I'm not mistaken. I thought Mamet directed it. He wrote it. Denise Richards that, too. Who's in it? Denise Richards and Bay Leg. Uh, stop. You were totally lying. And she's, she does a Bay Ling impression in the movie, if I remember right. Two dollar! She, like, negotiates with Lay Macy. I think she's the first hooker he tries to hook up with. That is awesome. It's true! Kelly Wanda is awesome! See? Oh, I need to go watch Edmund Stat. <laughs> we should do a Bay Ling marathon. Wild Wild West. <laughs> she's Wild in Wild Wild, Wild West? Yeah, there must be some reason to see it besides the giant. There's All right, this is James Bond. Uh, number two from Josh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. This I don't remember. Okay, this was technically a lecture, so hopefully another subspecies there. Hopkins's <laughs> Van Helsing gives a talk on vampire bats. Do you remember the scene? I don't. <laughs> do it makes me want to see it though. Go ahead, go on. <laughs> I'm already sold. <laughs> Von Helsing gives his talk on vampire bats in that creepy lecture theater, feeds the vampire bat his own thumb blood, and cracks up the students with a syphilis joke. <laughs> wow. Out <laughs> <laughs> sheer curiosity. Thank you, Josh. You've enriched my movie weekend already. Although that wouldn't have taken much. Spoiler alert. Number one, Blade Runner. Another briefing but maybe a bigger stretch because it's just two guys. When Decker goes to see M.M. at Walsh and gets the DL on the replicant situation, love the visual of the scene. Decker goes to M.M. at Walsh. Right, it's when, he's t- when he yeah. calls them skin jobs. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's the presentation? Of course. And there's, well, a, there's a different picture, and they talk about what model each of them is. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm an idiot, right. Okay, just their faces bathed in ambient smoke and the blue light of the monitor. Ford's pain smirks on the way Bryant's eyes kind of flick up and down nervously when he tells Decker about the four-year lifespan. That's it for run-up. I'd just like to throw in my one framing device from last week that no one mentioned. That would be Lewis Mall's Vanya on 42nd Street. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll edit that into last week's podcast, Josh. Thanks, guys. Lewis. So thanks for the love you all put into it. Lewis, yeah. <laughs> Wait, with Wally Sean and Julian Moore? Yeah. Wait, you're making fun of me? Yeah. You're saying Lou. Oh, okay. That's cool. What is it, Louis? Yeah, of course. Louis Mall. Louis Mall. Louis C. Mall. Andrew Shee. Gentlemen, this is certainly not one of cinema's best presentations, but it's a favorite of mine. James Franco's ridiculous presentation about his wonder drug to a bunch of suits in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I gotta see that movie. I'm the only one who hasn't seen it. Everyone likes. It. There's a sequel coming up, Kelly. One, you gotta get caught up. It's a sequel. I need to speak to Caesar. <laughs> That's my impression of what I know of the trailer. It's Jason Clark's really, really needing to speak to Caesar. The Godzilla trailer annoys me, but you're not gonna see it. So um, I will see the, the movie, movie, not the trailer. Uh, 
okay, I won't say anything. The Hollywood pseudoscience, financial mumbo jumbo, and Franconian indifference combine to create something sublime or possibly the opposite. When the presentation is brought to an abrupt end by a crazed ape, you're more likely to feel relieved than surprised. The whole thing just feels weird. Thanks and regards, Andrew. I guess I'll watch that tonight. Is it a big scene? I'm afraid I don't remember it. Dingus, does that stand out for you? No. Sorry. It's hard for me to picture Franco presenting things, although I guess in Oz he presents his magic to the crippled kids, just like Johnny Depp. Paul Weimer writes, three favorite presentations. I suspect at least two of them will be on other three-by-threes, but maybe one will be an oddball. Here goes. See, do you win if it's on everybody's, like Family Feud, or do you win if it's on nobody's? Survey says. Right. See, that show, plus it's a family. That's a terrible thing to have to rely on. Number three in Con Air, Malkovich presents his plan. I mean, Cyrus, I guess. Cyrus the virus. <laughs> Presents his plan to tackle the police convoy with a bunch of junk on the ground in a diorama, including memorably a rock that's not part of the battle plan. I are love that. More, are there more people Same. named Cyrus or more people named Werner? Mm. Who knows? There. I feel like... Um, Isn't there a movie named Cyrus? Is that the one where uh, Jonah Hill uh, is Marie, Marissa Tomei's son, or did I just make that up? No, I think you're right. I don't okay. think there's a movie named Werner. Why isn't Marissa Tomei in more movies these days? What's going on? I miss her. I feel like there's too movie, many movie characters named Christy. Number two, always be closing. Alec Baldwin steals Glengarry. Oh, yeah, that's a good Oh, that's a good presentation. Yeah, that's an out. That's an iconic. But not from a movie. It's from a play, so sorry. He's nope. not in the play, yeah, so you're done. not in the play. Ah, oh, you guys got me. Well played. Ah, uh, you. Dingus and I knew how silly you are. So proud, Tom. Well, I'm the one who knew who directed Edmund. I got the court. I knew who directed Edmund. You guys didn't, so there. Willie Apes. Right. <laughs> gotcha. I mean, Alec Baldwin with the scene where he outlines to Mitch and Murray, real estate salesman. I think we know. <sighs> how could that not be in the play? They should they should, they could patch it in right like whenever there's a production of Glengarry Glen Ross at like a community theater they can patch that in that's allowed isn't it I bet they do they've got it's, to yeah. it's weird because it's in the movie it's a major scene like something happens during it so in the play is it just Kevin Spacey's character is explaining to him I guess so all right well I'm assuming Mamet wrote the Baldwin part though yeah actually not many people know this uh, Baldwin improvised that. <laughs> Because he had he had diarrhea. George Lucas improvised the Death Star Trench. Number one, Art Goldfinger's presentation to his gangster rivals. That's his real name, Art Goldfinger. All right, Art. Right, yeah, because it's the gold. Yeah. yeah so, so before he was born, his parents knew he's going to get sucked out of a plane someday. An odd job they knew. That his job would be... All right, forget it. Uh, our Goldfinger's presentation is Gangster Rivals of Operation Grand Slam. I don't remember that the name being it. In the movie Goldfinger, complete with a nerve gas release as final punctuation. Best regards, Paul Weimer. Oh, Goldfinger to me is such a... It's a really irritating movie that only I seem to be irritated by because, A, it's got the lamest Bond chick. Who's the lamest Bond chick? Uh, Pussy Galore is a great name, but the character... She's just the least hot, I think. And Who in the played books, her? Uh, what's her fucking name? 
Dingus? Do you know? I don't forget what. All right, but you think she's the least hot Bond chick? And also James Bond. Like, less hot period. than Grace Jones? But doesn't she fly a plane? Yes. She goes, Goldfinger, what happened to Goldfinger? She talks like that. Who's the hottest Bond chick? Either Barbara Bach or Ulster well, Andrus, I guess. Nope, Gemma Atkinson. Wait, was that her name? Am I screwing like at my Gemma's? Actually. The strawberry. She's not in it enough. But Ursula Andrus, she's in like 40 minutes of the movie. And Jim Atkinson, I realize that's a different way to measure it. But Johnny Depp's transcendence character measured it that way. I think it's Javier Bardem. <laughs> I like, I want to ch- can I change my answer, Kelly Wand? <laughs> I like Dingus. That is pretty good. Also, the new Q's dreamy, huh? Oh, Ben Chaffron? No, what's his name? Dingus, do you remember? Yeah. In, we liked him in Cloud Atlas. Ah, oh, crap. It looks like he's 13. It's Wishaw. Isn't oh, it? yeah, Ben Wishaw. Very good, Dingus. Yeah. All right. What was Placigo Lore's actress name? Valerie Prone. Ah, uh, her. Is that uh, right? Jo- no. What? Don't. <sighs> you live with Tom and you have to ask that. What's wrong with you? Yep. Arthur Jovan Jelly. Jovan and Jelly? Jovan and Jelly. Jovan and Jelly. I think I said that right. I think it looks harder to say than it is. It really does. Yeah, yeah, it's very confusing. Arthur, oh. get rid of some of those letters. You don't need all of them. No, no, I like it. I think it's oh, fine. Cool. Right. It's fun. Jovan and Jelly. Well, you, you and I are just jealous because we don't have... I mean, Dingus, is, his last name is full of letters. You and We're I, we, we don't have that many to work with. We're jo- Oh, yeah. Jovan and Jelly is right. I think you're right. It's just that you look at all those letters and you start to go, blah, 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 blah. But you're Tom, right. what's your middle name? Have you noticed some middle names just lame? No, mine's awesome. Tom's got a great one. Sebastian? I wish. That would be good. No, it's Wesley, which sucked until Princess Thomas. Bride came out. And then uh, I was like, yes, score. But T. Wesley Chick is an awesome name. Yeah, when I'm rich, that's what I'm going to use as my, like, uh, like I'll be a railroad baron or something, and that'll be my rich man name. Yeah. All right, so what is Arthur Giovanginelli? Number three, Moneyball. Jonah Hill gives a one-on-one presentation to Brad Pitt about why the MLB undervalues certain players, develops in a bit of a montage, but at its core, it remains Hill presenting his ideas to Pitt. I didn't see that movie because it's about sports, but I feel like Same I should here. See yeah, Dingus has told me, no matter how many people tell you, you should see Moneyball, it's really good even if you're not into baseball. Dingus has told me that that is wrong, so I, I, feel, I feel that I'm justified in not seeing Moneyball. Wait, what did he say? I wasn't listening. Uh, uh, people held forth that uh, Moneyball, you're going to love this movie, uh, even, if you hate sports. even if you don't care about baseball. But I, I don't believe Tom that. doesn't care about any sport that I've noticed. Well, as baseball, to me, Tom, it eventually caught on because it's but, like a 1v1. But I hold I hold Moneyball up against Margin Call. And, and I think Margin Call just does a great Tom. job of, of understanding financial... Of helping you understand what the financial crisis was. They're almost whereas, the same title. Whereas Moneyball, much like the social network, uh, I, at some points my my eyes just glaze over because I don't care about Facebook. I don't yeah. care about a drama yeah. about Facebook, and I don't care about a drama about baseball. I tell okay, you what, all, <laughs> if if J C Chandor does a movie about baseball, I'll see it. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a Walt Disney. It's got like Walt Disney's name, pla- like the logo's plastered on. It's not super big, but you definitely see the logo on the poster. Uh, a movie with John Hamm called Million Dollar Arm, where yeah. he plays like a baseball scout, and it was written 
So this means Dingus has to see it. I'm so excused because I'm not into sports. Dingus is enough into sports. Ron he Shelton. has to see this. Nope. Written by Tom McCarthy, who we, we all uh, like from Station Tom. Agent and The Visitor and Win Win. So Dingus is going to have to take the million-dollar arm grenade for us. It's like that Brendan Fraser movie, The Scout, with Albert Brooks, except it's an Indian dude and not a white dude in Mexico, I think. Also, Dingus, you have to see Draft Day. Jesus. I kind of miss Costner now. I do too. Didn't we see something dumb that way? Like I whined for. Was it Oculus? <laughs> Costner's not an Oculus. I know, no, I know, but didn't I push Oculus over draft day? Tell you what, if you, if you miss if you miss Costner, see the new daughter. That movie I told you about where his daughter gets taken over by a, a, a bug people hive mind. Oh. You can see that one. Sounds like Dragonfly, but nothing like it. My favorite. Number two. Arthur Giovanni and Shelley, Jurassic Park. Ah, oh, this is a good one. Uh, the visiting scientists are forced to watch a cheesy video explaining how InGen was able to use mosquitoes <laughs> to serve an amber clinic. I love that one. I re- enjoy Richard Attenborough explaining that the score will be more dramatic in the final product. Mr. <laughs> DNA. I, uh, my, my favorite thing is that the lawyer uh, asking, what, what's the name of the guy who plays the, lo- the lawyer? Stanley Tucci. I, just, I always remember his name, but now I can't. Uh, anyway, where he asks, is it autoerotic? When he means, is it... Uh... <laughs> I don't remember that one. Is that That's right? Jurassic Park? Is he talking to Newman? No, it's it's when they're going through that whole presentation, and he asks if it's autoerotic. Now, I don't know if you guys it, know this. That's is it not... animatronic? Right. That's uh, not in the Crichton novel. They wrote that line just for the movie. Harrison Ford improvised it. Do you guys remember the name of that lawyer, though? The guy who plays the lawyer? He looks uh, kind of like you know, he's got a Jonathan Price kind of look to him, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 he does. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't. Why would I don't think we'd know the actor? I don't know. I just I, I just usually remember his name. I can usually recall it. Can you remember the name of the poor guy who gets eaten in half trying to pull the, the trailer in the Jeep in the second Jurassic Park? Oh no! Stanley Tucci. I felt so bad for that guy. Yeah, he's doing a heroic thing, and he has the grisliest death. Yeah, and he's not the star of the movie. Yeah, it's so sad. All right. Well, they're dumb for being there. <laughs> That's my review of both all dress <laughs> You're going to the island That's should, That should be the tagline, kind of. Yeah. That's my slogan for the movie. With me shrugging. It kind of works for uh, movie can be called the happening, and every tagline can be. Through. It should be at the. It should be on a sign at the oh, the entrance to the park, saying "Warning: You have to be dumb to keep walking in." Okay, get on these cars. Uh, number one, the guard Don Cheadle tries to give a presentation of the FBI's efforts to track down a group of drug dealers, but is constantly interrupted by Brendan Gleeson and his superior. Sets up the strange dynamic between Cheadle and Gleason, as this is the first time we see them interact. Did you see that movie, Tom? The Guard? I did. It was written by uh, the brother of the guy who did in Bruges, if I'm not mistaken. And oh. Spacing Mc- the name Donna? Don- McDonough? McDonough? I don't see movies with the name of the city in them, because it's... Uh, the Guard's cute. It's fine. It's got it's got some good, like, Fisher. I mean, Unless I don't know that Don Cheadle should be doing comedies. Um... I mean, I don't think... Funny he, in Ocean's Eleven? I can't remember. I don't think so. I mean, Don Cheadle seems to take take things a little too seriously, even oh. when it's supposed to be fun. I don't know. I, the guard's fine. I mean, it's mainly, hey, Brandon Gleeson is awesome. I mean, but you kind of already knew that, so... 
I don't think he's played funny people. I didn't like I didn't like the guard. I just didn't think it uh it struck the right tone. Or I, I, I don't think it could find its tone. I don't know. The funniest Don Cheadle has ever been, and I don't I think Rondo. it might have been an accident, is uh in the shootout with Robert Downey Jr. in is it Iron Man three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And aren't they, isn't there something about ammo, certain ammo going with certain guns, or am I, am I misremembering? Yeah, it's, it's a very like, Shane, yeah. yeah, it's a Shane Blackie kind of moment. Uh, and I thought, oh, hey, Don Cheadle. I'm, I'm laughing at something that's happening with Don Cheadle. Who knew? Anything's possible. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? Don Cheadle giving his password in, in Iron Man 3 is funny. <laughs> so that, I'll give him that. You know what, Don? Keep at it. You're, you've got you've got some gems going. Do more stuff like that, and, and yeah. That stuff is funny. Um, uh, I know, right? <laughs> I had something to tell you about apologists. Well, in the meantime, uh, is there any uh, any other reader submissions for presentations? Yeah, shitloads. Okay. So I shouldn't be wasting our time. Uh, Runner-up Zoolander Will Ferrell presents this new derelict clothing line to Ben Stiller with the Derek Zoolander Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good. I thought he was going to say that Will Ferrell... Movie with the lollipops. Gustingus, thoughts? <laughs> what is this? A center for ants? Oh, uh, yeah, because the model. Doesn't he spill some tea on it or something? Or lemonade? <laughs> That's, That's obviously what you're laughing about. Yeah. Oh, this is a good one. Mark Doyle. Hey, Tom, killing Christian. Keep doing what you do. Right on, right on, right on. The most memorable presentation of movies for me was from the 1982 classic Night Shift. Michael Keaton's Bill Diagrams breaks down the word prostitution on the blackboard during the meeting in which he and Henry Winkler's Bill recruit local call girls to their new, more equitable prostitution ring run out of the city morgue. I love this, that Mark remembers that. <laughs> I do, too. No, he's like, prostit, two, two, two tits, tuition. <laughs> It's the assume of 82. Now, I think it's important that I see all of your breasts. This film marked the height of Keaton's comedic prowess. Yeah, see? And then who knew that within six years he'd be Batman, and he'd never seem funny again. I don't know. Batman's kind of funny. Is it supposed to be? Yeah. I mean, you go back and you watch those Michael Ke- that Michael Keaton Batman, and it's kind of like, really? That he should be one of the expensive is he hilarious in Need for Speed? Oh, God, that's right. Oh, poor Michael Keaton. He's hilarious in RoboCop. Wait, Michael Keaton's in Need for Speed? He's the DJ. He's the, you know what? He's like the Greek chorus of the tragedy. Ooh. Oh, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> All right, what's Mark's number two pick? That was it. He just had one. Oh, okay. A little call back to the 80s. Always that is a good one. I really like that scene, too. I Approve. Sean Malloy, Dear Quarter Three Movie Podcast. Here's some words for you to read aloud related to the subject best presentations in movies. Number three, quote, Dick, I'm very disappointed. I think we all know that one. Number two, you're going to stick with me and you're going to stick with this calendar and you're going to work with it. You're going to set goals. This is from a movie you should know, Tom. It does sound familiar. Uh, I didn't know it either, but I don't know anything. Who among us do want to run out and buy ten copies of Frank T.J. Mackey's Seduce and Destroy system for our family? <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Magnolia. That's great. That's great, Sean. Awesome. That is a great one. 
Wow. I don't remember that line. That's pretty good. You're going to stick with me. You're going to stick with this calendar. And you're going to work with it. I know. Now that he's now that he said now that I know it's from Magnolia, I can definitely hear, hear that line. Yeah, I remember that. That's awesome. Mom had a thing she made me look at on her couch that said it was like it was like a class to learn how to talk to your pet or to know what your pet's thinking. It was like two hundred dollars a day. Oh yeah, I talked to no apologists tonight. That's what I was going to tell you. Number one, is this something you can share with the rest of us, Amazing Larry? In Pee-wee's adventure, Mr. Herman presents over 217 bits and pieces of information related to his stolen bike to a gathering of bizarre neighbors and friends. Lots of great absurd stuff here, but Pee-wee's admonition of the mysterious Amazing Larry is just a perfect movie moment. I don't know if you guys remember this, but Pee-wee's Big Adventure, directed by Stuart Gordon. Mm. Morgan Fairchild's good on it. Runner-up to their series of crude drawings of brilliant doctor carefully explains human centipede. <laughs> See? Look what's beating uh, RoboCop almost, Tom. RoboCop 2.0. Know what I'm saying? Paul Weimer's back. <laughs> what? He wanted to tell us he's nominated for a Hugo Award for Best Fan Cast. I'm a co-host on the Skiffy and Fanty show. Just to let you know. I don't think I'm supposed to read that right now, am I, Tom? Their rules. Uh, so we're we're basically looking for reader submissions for best presentation. <laughs> oh, that, I that could have been a presentation from a movie. I don't know. Maybe right. there there was something going on there. I don't know. The future biopic of Paul Weimer's or us, even Aaron Kane. I will give you a quote from it. That's supposed to be my best dingus voice. <laughs> Please remain in your seats. I beg you. We are not children here. We are scientists. Oh, wait, I said it wrong. Dingus should know that line. Please remain in your seats. I beg you, we are not children here. We are scientists. Yeah, this is a great one. Or do you guys not like it? I don't know what this one Young is. Frankenstein? Yeah, Young Frankenstein. Yeah. Mel Brooks, all right. <laughs> See, Tom hates Mel Brooks, but I know... You include Young Frankenstein in your uh, hating Mel Brooks? Uh, I don't hate Mel Brooks. Um, you didn't like Blazing Saddles, though. I remember you. Going, yeah, it's, Blazing Saddles is a, is an important cultural work. Huh? Well, you really hate it. <laughs> Do you hate Young Frankenstein? Uh, I don't. I just am not. I I don't. Not I'm not. Yet. Mel Brooks's humor. I'm I'm not an old Jewish. Candle back, Tom. Right? Not Siri Gar. Look at her knockers. Oh, right. she's she's very beautiful. She's almost as beautiful as Veronica Cartwright. Thank you, Doctor. I suggest you put on a tie, Tom. Dude, Gene Hackman rules of that movie. How can you not like it? Gene Hackman, yeah. I love Gene Hackman in Young Frankenstein. That guy's awesome. Gene Hackman is is Dr. Frank. Yeah, man, that guy's great. Not as good as he is in Silver Streak. Gene Hackman was in a train movie, I think, called Narrow Margin. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand? Uh, Is that the Anne Hathaway one? (laughs) And not Hathaway, which Anne, what's her name? Dead Gummit. Dingus, I bet Dingus knows. No. What? Who's the, who's the who's the chick in uh, Narrow Margin? And uh, oh, oh, Archer. And right. Archer. Thank you. You know what she, she was also in? And Archer. Yeah. Fatal Attraction. Right. She was also right. in The Hunt for October. Oh, <laughs> wait, wait. She's because I thought she's in Patriot Games too, right? Mm-hmm. So they kept her, but changed her husband. No, no, no. Uh, actually, she is in Patriot Games. She's not in... Uh, what's her name from Star Trek? Is in 
uh, hunt for October. As his wife? Yeah. Jolene Blaylock? No. Versus Kambata? <laughs> Hakuna Matata? Barbara Bain? Who do you mean? I don't know. Before we proceed, it's really important to me, so dig us. Which I recently watched Hunt for Red October with Bingus, and I don't think I knew uh, who the actress was. So. You did mention that. She's the doctor in Star Trek. What's her name? Ann Archer was? Oh, damn it. Oh, you mean the British chick. Yeah, that's what I mean, the British chick. Oh, oh uh, 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 E. Alice Eve. So you're completely wrong. Although she has two first names, just like Ann Archer. As one. Not Alice What? It's not Alice Eve. Isn't that her name? No. You're saying her name's Anne something? No, it's not Anne anything. It's uh, the, the doctor from Star Trek. Damn it. It's Chapel. Oh, Gates, Dr. McFadden. Gates McFadden. Shit. Gates McFadden. Wait, that's not it. That has nothing to do with the word Anne. It, it, it absolutely has nothing to do with the word Anne, but Anne is, is in... Uh, Patriot Games. Sorry, I fall. I apologize. Go away. Do something else. Gretchen Grasshoff. The lovely Gretchen Grasshoff writes, Hey guys, great topic. It really got me to think about what is or isn't a presentation. See, Tom? I think. I bet she believes that a briefing is a presentation. She believes. I accept your bluff is an actual phrase that people say. (laughs) See, because if you accept the bluff... Never mind. Looking if it's a bluff, that. you wouldn't accept it. If you know it's a bluff, you wouldn't accept That's it. That's calling it. No, no, but accepting it is... No, you're calling it a bluff because you're saying it's not true, it's a bluff. I'm calling your bluff. Yeah, but if you... Otherwise, you're not bluffing, you're telling the truth. No, no, but if you're going... If you accept the bluff, you're right. not calling it and saying you're obviously bluffing. You're if like, it's a bluff, you call it. You would never no, accept a bluff. No, you would if you don't want to call it. If you don't no, want to... If you know it's a bluff, you always call it, Kelly Wan. Kelly Wan, I can't wait to play poker with you. Oh, do you not? Wait. You and Gretchen Grasshoff, by the way. I'm going to get rich. This will be awesome. Wait, what'd she do? That I thought you were saying that she was defending the use of the phrase, I accept your bluff. No, that was all me. Oh, I see. Well, let's get to Gretchen Grasshoff's email. Right. Sorry. You just... Okay. See, last time Gretchen Grasshoff wrote, you were tapping your microphone the whole time, and this time you call her a terrible poker player. I misattributed something to her, so I, I take it back. I'm sure that Gretchen's awesome. You can tell from my different vo- vocal style that I was referring to myself. Whatever I said, I wasn't listening. Gretchen Grasshoff writes, look forward to hearing everyone's picks and Tom's personal definition of presentation. See? You're the no <laughs> I'm the bad cop here. I know. I, I fully accept it. I, we need one. We can't all be good cops. She has really good ones. Number three, Battle Royale, The Rules. This is great juxtaposition between the tent situation, the bubbly Japanese girl, and the instructional video about murdering each other. That's what I thought. Okay, good. See, I wasn't sure. I thought I was misremembering another presentation, like the Jurassic Park one. Fascinating one. The teachers try to mimic the enthusiasm, but catches a girl whispering, which leads to the first kill of the movie. I forget that part. I need to see that movie again. Do you remember that? I don't, but I I need to see it again. That was not exciting enough for you to rewatch, is it? What's not exciting enough? What are you saying? Battle Royale. You you saw it once 30 years ago, so you're never going to watch it again. Uh, I liked it more than Hunger Games. Yeah, I did too. 
That's a good point. Number two, Wolf of Wall Street, Steve Madden's presentation. Steve Madden has presented his idea of women's shoes to a bunch of rowdy, drug addict Wall Street frat boys who just don't seem to understand anything unless it's being yelled at them by Leonardo DiCaprio. The thing I was going to say earlier was at work this week. This is me, not Gretchen Grassoff talking. Uh, there was There's like a hoverboard in the game, and uh, I ended it with in-your-face wheel apologists. And they, you got to take out apologists. It's way too racially charged. Just make it wheel lovers. No one's going to know what an apologist is. Just FYI. This is the cross I bear. And number one by Gretchen Grasshoff. Apologists, Tom. You hear that? Number one by Gretchen Grasshoff. Big word, Kelly Wand. I, I can understand that. Yeah. Wheel lovers sounds weird, though. Yeah. It sounds creepier. <sighs> they made it. They made it dirty. Yeah, and I just it, the whole thing just left me tired. Like, uh, uh, fine, wheel lovers, is great. Wheel apologists is funny. <laughs> it's funny. You like that. You like that joke? See? Yeah, of course. In your face, we will apologize. And I mean, and I, I hated myself for caving, uh, like all weekend. I was like obsessing. I'm like, fucking, I let it, ah, why couldn't I just, but I was just like, I don't care anymore. Do what you're going to do. All right. Anyway, number one by Gretchen Grassoff, Magnolia, respect the cock. The seduce and destroy presentation is such a great look at Frank TJ Mackey and his larger than life ego. I kind of want to watch that again, too. Because I remember thinking when I was watching it, like, some stuff you said makes sense. But I think it's just his baggage. It's great. It's a great Tom Cruise performance, too. It's just the guy version of, like, Oprah. Isn't it? Runner up Prometheus. Yes, Tom? Gretchen. I'm sorry, Gretchen. Ed, you Gretchen? What? Not, Everybody I, stop talking about Prometheus. Oh, it should be I, forgotten and neglected and ignored. <laughs> well, I don't think she's well, – A, it's a runner-up, which means she knew it wasn't, like, good. Oh, wait. She goes on. I'm sorry. Gretchen Grass, putting more words in your mouth. Although this isn't technically in the movie. Maybe the best thing associated with it. <laughs> wait a minute. Is that true? Let me think. Is anything good in Prometheus? The best thing associated with Prometheus is probably Charlize Theron or uh, Idris Elba or Nah, they're so stupid in it. They don't they don't make it better. But just as actors. It's annoying to me to see him in it like, what are you doing here? <laughs> Go do something better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, plus we don't have to see Guy Pierce and old man makeup. Thanks for all the love, Gretchen Grassoff. Aw. And then Finally, Aaron the Great writes, Dear QT333, Hi, Kelly. How'd you like Lost Skeleton of Cadaver? What's that? You loved it, and Tom was wrong to just hear you. That's actually what Aaron wrote. I'm still reading this. I haven't seen it yet because uh, I don't remember to watch movies our listeners recommend. This is between this guy and Tom anyway. Tom, what should we do? Should listeners be allowed to suggest movies for us to watch? I don't know what to read here. Is he doing me? What's he doing, Tom? I don't, I don't know, know, but I'm wondering, are there presentations in there? Because those might be interesting. What does he have for us? This is his favorite presentations. These are my choices for best presentations. Ah, there. Now you got to the meat of it. Very good, Kelly Wand. I found it by digging with my eyes. Uh, number three. Oh, I brought lines. Jurassic Park. I brought lines. This presentation of how the dinosaurs were cloned is cute and informative, but the little sides about its production win me over here. Bonus points for getting through to me as a kid when I first saw this movie. Cue everything feeling like old men now. Yeah. Tom, have you been watching Cosmos? There's a lot about dinosaurs on it getting cloned. Hmm. 
Number two, will the new road lead to the church? There will be blood. I had to find three picks that weren't Tom Cruise and Magnolia, but this one will be replaced <laughs> as a presentation driven entirely by the actor's performance. The oral presentation Daniel Lewis gives to the town is an oil man explaining how they can only benefit by his presence with a montage. That's a, uh, it, wait, assuming that I, I, is he talking about the part where he's standing there with his son, where he's sitting in a chair and his son is standing yeah. next to him and he's talking to the townspeople? Because if so, I love that bit of There Will Be Blood. That's a yeah. great pick. Yeah. A I think pick. I like every part of There Will Be Blood. That's true. Oh wait! But not every part of there will be blood is a presentation. Remember. This is the last listener submission one. It's it's Aaron's number one, and it's maybe the best one. And now I feel like a fucking idiot for it not being on my list. And so will you. Uh, nails on chalkboard, or is that a presentation? That's a sales job. Yeah, it's kind of like a an interjection. Uh, no, that's a that's a good that's a, certainly a fair pick. Yeah. For me, it's certainly so, better than the presentation that they're getting from from Mayor Vaughn. <laughs> <laughs> that the same meeting? I think when the guy goes, "Is that two thousand dollars cash or check?" is the real presentation. I do like his PowerPoint presentation that he uses. A, you know, it's before PowerPoint, so it was just a chalkboard. But I do like the visuals on Quint's presentation quite a bit. <laughs> It's a good thing he got the chalkboard seat, or he would have had to improvise. Well, he would have had to use a whiteboard, or get yeah. a big old poster board and draw it, or had his little. He would have had to buy tin foil. Yeah. yeah. Well, could, yeah. Wait, what were you going to say? Uh, all right. Window. So, uh, any runners up? Was that the last of their reader submissions? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I want to mention as a runner-up, there's a <clears> – <throat> I don't think you guys have seen this. There's a movie called Antiviral, and uh, – Oh, I couldn't into it. I tried to oh, watch it. Well, did you see – so so you know the premise of Antiviral yeah. is that certain people are so into celebrities that they want to be injected with the same strain of like a, a cold or an influenza virus or whatever that the celebrities suffered, or like a cold sore. They want to experience the same specific disease that a celebrity who they follow has suffered. And there's a company that does this for people. And Caleb Landry Jones, who is a massive freak, I love that guy. Uh-huh. And he's so incredibly freaky in this. He's movie. our Christian Glover. It, it op- very good, Kelly Wand. Uh, it opens with him giving a presentation to a guy who is there to look at different cold sores from different celebrities. And it's Caleb Landry Jones selling this beautiful woman's cold sore to a. Uh, I, I think the guy's a little skeptical to a, to a potential client. Uh, which is just such a weird concept, and it's how antiviral lays out its its kind of it, it does its world building in that presentation. Yeah. So you didn't you weren't into it? You didn't stick with it? Uh, I gave it like twenty minutes, and then I felt it's like slow. I was yeah, it's, it was maybe moving too slow for me. It's a very slow burn, and in in that regard, uh, you know, uh, Brandon Cronenberg doesn't quite have his father's penchant for kind of making something more like a thriller. Um, it's definitely more of an art house Cronenberg movie. Yeah. There was like a, a dream sequence with coffins and shit and slow motion snowflakes. Well, maybe you should watch the other uh, 60 minutes. It was reminding me of Melancholia. Minutes, yeah. So you say keep going. I, I think so. I mean, it goes it goes to some really cool places. So I, I would I do recommend Antiviral. Yeah. Well, uh, other, uh, other, uh, yep. Go ahead. Uh, I could have sworn turkeys could fly more for dingus, but it's kind of a TV show. <laughs> This guy is my witness. It's WKRP in Cincinnati, Tom. You probably didn't watch it because it's radio. Uh, other runners up that are for movies, hopefully. Uh, 
I love it when Nick Fury uh, throws down those Captain America cards of Agent Colston and says, uh, it, just to give them a little push, and those Captain America cards have blood on them. And that's his presentation to get them to all go together. I like in Prometheus when they wake up the engineer and he tears off uh, Guy Pierce's head and um, has sex with Michael Fassbender's character. All right, you guys ready for next week's 3x3? Three three? Uh-huh. Polar opposite. Once again, I love doing this to you guys, and I know you probably hate it. This is going to be a very specific one. It might require homework. <sighs> the only thing I'm taking off the table is a little movie we just saw called Transcendence. Yes. Whoa! So there's a moment in Transcendence, uh, there's a couple of moments, where um, uh, uh, Johnny Depp's character has uh, Will Cather, C- Cater, Cap- C- Carter, Caster, 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 thank you. Because somebody had to cast him in this movie. Ah, good thing. Uh, has given his wife, Rebecca Caster? Mm. You know her name? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Evelyn. It's Evelyn or something like oh, that. Oh, Evelyn. No, no, very good. Exactly, because uh, I can see Evelyn's one. Evelyn's fun name. Little, I can see the little MS-DOS interface. Evelyn? Question mark. Yes, exactly. Um, so at any rate, part of their backstory is he has given her a phonograph player. And there, there's a few shots that Wally Fister loves of, you know, the needle at the end of the phonograph. It's run its course, and it's just butting against the center of the, the record. Um, so it, when I saw that, I was like, oh, God, stop with the hipster phonograph player stuff already. I'm, I hate this kind of thing. But it occurs to me that there are times... There are times when I don't hate the appearance of a phonograph player in a movie. For the most part, it's some kind of hipster thing like it is here. Like, oh, there are these kooky Berkeley scientists who probably think that analog is warmer than digital when it comes to ragtime music or whatever. Um, So what I want from you guys are phonograph players in movies. Good uses of a phonograph player, because a lot of time it is shorthand for some kind of hipster thing. Sometimes it's a period piece, whatever whatever you want to do. But phonographs are now dead to us. We don't have them anymore. We have CD players, and uh, if, even that's kind of dead. We, we have MP3s. We have digital music that we listen to. Phonographs are a relic of the past. So what I want from you guys are your three favorite occurrences or appearances of a phonograph player in a movie. I have a question. I will not be fielding questions. Wait, <laughs> what's so annoying about Transcendence is they don't bother the first time you see it to give us the sound of it. It's right. just yeah. all we hear is this is the soundtrack like playing the generic soundtrack noise while the needle is doing that thing that the needle does at the end of a record right. and you want to hear that. And they don't even bother to give you the sound of that. It's so Terrible. Because for guys our age too, just that 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 kind of pop and hiss of dropping the needle on the phonograph, like that's iconic. There's nothing that sounds like that. Uh, and a, and a good movie will know how to use that. Uh, so th- there you go. I just want good instances, your favorite instances of a phonograph player in a movie. Uh, Tell you I'm assuming your question was frivolous or would 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 take away somebody's pick. So I'm sorry. I will not be fielding questions. <laughs> He was going to ask about escalators, so don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, if you have any picks for that, if you're listening and you can think of some cool uses of in a movie, uh, send in your picks to 3 by 3 at quarter to 3com That's the number 3, the letter X, the number 3, at, and you spell out, quarter to 3com uh, Next week, we're going to see... Except for the dot. A movie from the director of The Notebook. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> it's okay, Kelly White. He's a Cassavetes. 
So he's got that. Oh. We're going to see the other woman, which I am totally psyched for. Even if it's awful, I am I, I can't wait to see this movie. Uh, and I've watched the trailer several times. So see the Ugh, other woman. What? Why? What are you going? Ugh, you watch the trailer? Of course. It's for a comedy? Well, I know, I know. I didn't know I wanted I to see it. Watch the 22 it. Jump Street trailer. Oh, I'm not going to watch that because I know I want to see you it. You already told me the title. It's spoiler. <laughs> and we said that for sure reels. Uh, so uh, join us for that uh, and join us for uh, our discussion of phonographs in movies. I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by Christian Murlowski. I think I said it right. It's Christian Murlowski. Mm, I don't know about that. And uh, Kelly Wand. Kate Upton, Zara Dwayne Johnson. Well, Dangus, this podcast was devoid of even artificial intelligence. Don't huh. underestimate yourself. You're the third smartest person I know. <laughs> that was cute in the movie when he said that. Because we know he met the, a monkey and the computer. <laughs>